Conscious Monkeys, before we start the show, I must warn you that there are ads throughout this podcast episode. If you'd like to get the show ad-free, you're able to get access by downloading the official Traveling to Consciousness app. It's available in the Google Play Store and the iOS Store. I will note that there is a small monthly fee associated to get these episodes ad-free. And this is an important part. Make sure that any purchases you make, you make on the website, travelingtoconsciousness.com, because products are going to be 15 to 30% more expensive through the app because, you know, the big boys got to get their own check. Even though you're purchasing this stuff through the website, you will still be able to enjoy all this content on the app. Now, if you prefer the free route, you can get a free login on the app, and that will grant you access to challenges and notifications when new episodes arrive discounts, exclusive content, and so much more. All of this just by searching Traveling to Consciousness in your phone's app store, or click the link below. Now, Conscious Monkeys, let's get the show started. spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty. What is up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. As always, I am your host, Clayton Terry. Today's guest has quite the journey uh, to where she is today. I hope she doesn't mind me saying it, but it's very much a rags to riches story. Uh, starting with the end in mind, she is now the owner of Reach Yoga in San Diego, California. She was featured in Ohm Magazine, Ohm Yoga Magazine, excuse me. She's a woman's empowerment coach, a yoga teacher, a life student, a dog lover, and so, so much more. Conscious Monkeys, welcome to the show, Alina Snedeker. Alina, thanks for being here. Thank you, Clayton. I'm so happy to be here right now. Very happy. And I realized I didn't ask you how to pronounce your last name. So did I get that right? You actually did. Good job. Yep. Okay, cool. Thanks. Pat <laughs> on the back, starting off strong. <laughs> um, so Alina, we've had, so we kind of met over two weeks ago over the yoga retreat, your first yoga retreat, my first yoga retreat. And mm-hmm. we had so many just very well-connected conversations that it was one of those things screaming at us. It was like, we got to get this done. We got to make this happen. We're recording a podcast together. And so I'm really excited to see what comes out of this. Me too. Me too. I love having those conversations with you. That was one of the highlights of the trip. It's just time with Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored. I'm honored. Mm-hmm. And so to get this started off, one of the things that we did not talk about, I'm curious, whenever you were a younger child, I know we talked about a lot of the hardships that you went through whenever you were a kid. Was there ever a moment whenever your one of your parents asked you, like, what do you want to be when you grew up? And if so, what was it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It just I feel like it's actually my answer was 
quite normal with a lot of my peers. And um, I think children around those ages, I always wanted to be an adventurer and out in nature, you know, growing up in Reno, Nevada, in the mountains so much. So I loved being outdoors. And because growing up in the mountains so much, I wanted the opposite. So when I was young, I actually wanted to become a marine biologist. Um, I love animals so much and which is hilarious. Now I live by the ocean and I really go in it because I'm scared of it because I, again, I'm a mountain girl, not necessarily an ocean girl. But when I was younger, that was kind of more of the, the route I wanted to go into. And then as I hit, you know, puberty, teen years, loved being a little more fashionable. Then I started getting into interior design before yoga came into my life. So two completely different opposite sides of the spectrum things that had led me to my path of being a yoga instructor. Well, when did you make the switch between marine biology and interior design? I think it was really around like when I started taking art classes in, um, in high school where I loved, or I'm not a really good artist per se, like, you know, drawing, painting, but I, I have a good eye for things and I love beautiful things. Um, so it was more of like, you know, young childhood playfulness. Let me play with animals and make sure I can caretake for them into more growing up of like, ooh, I want to be more of a creator of, you know, stepping into femininity more and making things around me beautiful. So my energy feels good inside of this space. So I think That's it was so around, cool. yeah, just when, when I started doing art more and growing up. And something that... I guess I'm pretty curious about, we're just going to jump into the femininity and masculine aspects that we've been yeah. discussing. Do you see, because a lot of that beauty, right? I feel it comes into yoga as well. I mean, you got the the picture of yourself in a pose, which is, you know, it, it shows, it feels like a lot of balance. There's a lot of beauty to it. There's a lot of support, masculine energy. So do you find that there's this balance of masculine and femininity being an owner of a yoga studio, but then also being a teacher? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I can go down a lot of different paths on that one. But, you know, for the first year of the business, you know, I bought the business in 2020. So it was already, you know, an actualized studio that had been around for, I think it was nine years. And uh, so I basically kind of fell into this plug and play of this studio, changed up a different vibe, remodeled the studio, all of that jazz. Um, but the first year was really leaning into my masculinity, right? You know, getting things done, point A to point B, structure, um, really focused thinking, right? You know, versus the feminine where, you know, when I teach, I just let the channel open up and I let source th flow through me and guiding me there, right? So teaching for the last 14 years, being in my femininity of opening up the channel, the class goes through me feeling into the energy of the, of the space, the people that are in that room and moving in that feminine way. Whereas business ownership, especially for the first year, I keep saying that for a reason. Um, it was new, right? It was new. And I, all of a sudden I have 45 employees, like what the fuck, what do I do with that? I'm, I'm now responsible for all of these people. So I have to make sure shit gets done and done correctly. Um, so that first year was really getting my, my wheels turning very much in the masculine side. Like I mentioned before, logic, point A to point B, focused on the structure, um, goal oriented, right? And now with the second year, the studio, my team is amazing. I have become very confident inside of 
you know, this, my role in the studio and ownership and delegating a lot of tasks to different people because I trust them. And inside of trust, I can step back into my femininity more, lean back and receive, right? So my employees that work for me, my manager is incredible. Um, I call her my backbone. She's just absolutely fabulous. She does. She has so many different roles now where I can lean back and be in more of a receptive space. So taking classes more versus teaching classes more, you know, showing up for, you know, my teachers in a different way than ownership of being a student to them and with the students in that studio. Um, so this second year that I've had this business, I feel very balanced in my feminine and masculine. And my goal is kind of lean a little bit more into my femininity to be that nurturer, that receiver, that safety, you know, that my own masculinity gives into my femininity. It's really fascinating, especially because from the way that that started off, right? Like in that first year, it felt like you were very much in your masculine. And then as it progressed, you could fall a bit more into your feminine. And where I'm trying to kind of piece this together is it almost whenever you're running your own business, there feels like this tendency. And I see this with my podcast, with content creation. And I'm curious if you see this as well with running a yoga studio, where you tend to compare yourself to other yoga studios or other content creators. How are other people doing this? How are they doing it? But then it feels like once you hit this point of being secure and comfortable and having that masculine security within you, you're able then to branch out into the feminine structure, the feminine structure, the feminine energy, and kind of expand in a different and creative way that can almost expand your business to have almost infinitely more potential than sticking to a masculine energy of structure and comparing yourself to other people. So do you feel like you have almost been able to create your own way or your own path through this feminine energy compared to other yoga studios within San Diego? You know, it's, it's a really good question for me um, because I'm going to have an interesting answer for this. Love With it. teaching in San Diego for the last 14 years, I have taught at a lot of different studios. My main studio I was at for 10 years, various gyms, Equinox, other boutique studios, all around the city of San Diego, Ocean Beach, Pacific Beach, North County, everywhere. So I got a really, really good feel of what it looks like to not only teach at a yoga studio, but I'm just friends with all the studio owners, what it's like to be a studio owner. And inside of these last 14 years, basically, unbeknownst to me, right, the subconscious just taking data, 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 you know? And when this opportunity presented itself about this studio, I made kind of like a rule for myself of I'm not about competition. I'm about co-creation. And that was how it started. So even though, yes, I was very much in my masculine, this is why I'm like, I love this reflection because I never didn't even really think about this. But yes, I was so much in my masculine for the first year when I first started, of course. But looking at that now from this perspective, I noticed that I actually was in a lot of balance because I've never really felt the comparison or the competitive nature um, because I believe that yoga is union. That's what it means, right? Yoga is for all. So um, that co competitive mindset, it never really bugged me. You know, it never got me. It just, I'm all about co-creating with studio owners, with students, with teachers. And that's, that's my jam. You know, that's, 
so yeah, the comparison game never really infiltrated my mind. That's cool. And so, and so mm-hmm. I guess you never even, cause this is something that I always hear, let's say people who are deemed successful at a more, let's say, uh, what's it called? Class A, what's it called? Celebrity, A-list celebrity level where people mm-hmm. don't really focus on, you know, the other people that they're competing with. Right. Like, and honestly, this is a kind of a mindset I think I need to start trying to get away from is where, you know, I still have this a little bit of this comparison game in me. And maybe it's an over-masculinized version where I'll go, I'll see content creators who are making similar content to me, see what their numbers are, see how many likes or ratings they have on their podcast. And I know that it's something I need to get away from because it's like, I don't need to worry about what they're doing. It's coming back to me and saying, hey, like, as long as I'm producing the best possible podcast that is in absolute alignment with Clay and Q. Terry, doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. Because it's almost yeah. like there's this, if you're if you're creating something that's beautiful and unique, then it's only going to like rise and lift all the other ships, kind of like yoga. If, right. if you're doing something that's very divine and unique for yourself, it'll only show another pathway for other yoga teachers and yoga studios. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, I, I do see myself as a leader in this community and, you know, not only at Reach Yoga, but in the yoga community in San Diego. Um, and I just have a, an easefulness about leading. So inside of leadership, right, lead by example, you know, and I have three rules at Reach Yoga. It's show up as a good human, show up in love and bring your magic right? Those are the three rules that you, that's at all of Reach Yoga for all my employees and everyone that goes in there, right? So, you know, inside of those three rules, it gives a lot of spaciousness, right? To really be your own person and do your own thing. And when you are so, I don't know, embodied in your own authentic self, you wouldn't compare you know, like there's, there's no reason because everyone in their own individuality is so beautiful. Right. And everyone has their own magic piece. Your magic is different than my magic is different than his magic. Right. You know, it's, it's all encompassing. So, um, that's really the knowing that I lean on that. Yeah. The comparison game is just not a, not a thing. (laughs) I want to touch on a little bit of what you said at the beginning of that answer. Whenever you said, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel like a leader in the yoga community. And I find it interesting because as a reflection, again, I'm really kind of just starting to step into that in this like spirituality, consciousness, content creator, Um, because I actually just got out of an interview with somebody who I really admire in the uh, spirituality community who had me on their podcast. And, you know, just hearing them kind of saying like, you know, repeating all these phrases back to me of you know, really love the path you're on, the consciousness, like you're spreading it, like, like that validation almost. And so it's interesting to me because I think I'm just kind of getting into that belief system within myself that I am a leader within the consciousness, spirituality community. And so I'm curious in your story, when did you kind of step into realizing that you were a leader in the yoga community? When there's definitely no like definitive date per se. It's, I'm one of those people where anytime I'm pre, I have a very extroverted personality, you know, and I have a lot of friends. I am that person that everyone comes to for advice, you know, pretty much, I wouldn't say throughout my whole life, 
um, really when I started leaning into yoga a lot more, you know, 19, 20 years old and learning about the philosophy of yoga and doing my own personal development, doing the work, um, I would speak in my classes about like, you know, you've taken a couple of my classes and like, I love deep meditation and guided meditations. Um, I don't necessarily just talk about the breath the entire time. I talk about some deep shit in meditations, right? I always make this joke where it's, I love making people cry in class (laughs) (laughs) because it's like, I really love cracking heart opens and talking about big shit, you know, that's, that is taboo. Like, you know, sometimes talking about sex or womb healing um, or the masculine feminine energy or loving your womb, whatever, you know, like I talk about different things in yoga that not necessarily the run of the mill yoga teacher would talk about. So inside of that, like, you know, starting my classes with meditations, people would start coming to me and start asking me questions. Oh, you know, a a relationship class, for instance, you know, relating to your own self with your own self-love, relating to your partner and you know, sexual desires or um, relating to friends and other ways of intimacy, so on and so forth. Talking about these things in my classes, people would come to me after class of like, you know, I'm going through X, Y, and Z with my partner, with myself or body image issues, you know, what have you. So then I have a sit down with them and then we just start wrapping out. And it was maybe about... mm, about seven or eight years ago, I decided to really start opening up my my coaching business. I started doing um, health coaching, right? So really focused into health, healed myself through my own body dysmorphia, my own eating disorders, all of that jazz. Um, when I was, you know, 19, 20 years old, went through that path and then was like all about food, you know, creating a really healthy relationship with food rather than food being my enemy, um, especially for women, right? There's men as well, of course, but yes, with this interesting little body dysmorphic time of life that we're living in, there's a lot out there. So I started my health coaching path in that road. And then, you know, when you start something, it just always branches off and you never know where it's going to take you. So over the last eight years, it went from health coaching to, you know, basically kind of like life coaching in a way. And then finding a little deeper into what my niche is, is I found out that I'm really, really good at allowing the space for people to fall in love with themselves and reminding them of how powerful and how worthy they are of unconditional love from themselves and from others. Um, So it's been a process over these I would say like 14 years of really getting into my that leadership role. Um, but that's how I got there is people asking me questions first, saying yes to a training program, investing in that, learning about that, and just really allowing the universe to process it all out for me to get to where I am now. Conscious monkeys, I need to tell you about these psychedelic fabric mushrooms that are absolutely incredible that I've just come across. They're all one of a kind and are honestly a perfect trip buddy. They're an incredible addition to anyone's like house or room who takes psychedelics and you have a certain spot that you like to go and relax. You're going to have to check out these Aquarius mushrooms. These high-end mushrooms are made with 100% recycled material and are all one of a kind. Honestly, these mushrooms are something I'm not going to be able to describe in words alone. You're going to need to check out the link below and search to see if you can find one that resonates with your soul. Remember, they're all one of a kind and made from 100% recycled material. Aquarius mushrooms. Premium mushrooms for the new age of enlightenment. Get yours today. And with that being said, Conscious Monkeys, let's get back to the interview. 
And you kind of touched on like the idea of like that unconditional love state. And part of me thinks that that's almost the answer for almost any issue that we are embodying or identify with in our lives is Mm -hmm. we have this issue. We think it's a problem. And at the end of the day, it almost always leads back to just unconditional love. Would you say that's almost an accurate assessment with what you've been through, who you've coached and the, the things that you've seen? 100%. 100%. You know, that's, for instance, let's take the the health coaching situation, right? You know, women would reach out to me, hey, Alina, I want to lose 15 pounds, whatever, you know, I want to get a six pack, where it's more of the outside of themselves, they're looking for validation with the number, with the way their pants fit, with the way they look, right? More superficial validation than the internal. Whereas, Yes, of course, I would hire that or they would hire me as their coach. Unbeknownst to them, I'm going to dig underneath all of that stuff and go straight into the subconscious and really look at how they are loving themselves. Do they love themselves unconditionally? And unfortunately, a lot of the times it's no, right? You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of humans get tripped up inside of that and inside of the idea of self-love. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. You know, do they actually know how to unpack that backpack to get to the root of truly loving yourself? So at the end of my like coaching program for these women, I would take through with, you know, food and they want to learn about macros and calories and all that. By the end of the program, they could give two fucks about what they weigh. Mind you, the weight dropped off because they are falling more and more and more in love with themselves. They're happier. They're moving their body more. They're breathing better. They're making food choices, not for the number on the scale, but because they love their body and they want to feel nourished and balanced inside of themselves. So that's, that's how it crumbled. Well, it's so beautiful too, because I'm even realizing that within myself and my health and fitness journey has all the ups and downs. Like I, you know, I've had my times where I'm very muscular and cut and then I like mentally would like lean off of it or something. Like I know there was a, and I mean, it's always, there's an excuse if not, like I know that the most fit that I was in my life, like from definition to size was right before COVID. And I know there's an Instagram picture on my um, profile of me being in Brazil whenever I took a picture and I was, but then COVID hit and I found every single excuse in the book to not work out. <laughs> oh, well, all the gyms are closed. Oh, I don't need to, you know, blah, blah, blah. No one else is doing it. And I saw this same massive dude, drop same. off and yeah, it, it's so crazy. And <laughs> And it's, and it's wild too, because, you know, looking back on it now, if all I did was do push-ups, squats, you know, maybe some pull-ups like in the house, I'm sure I could have found a way to do it. Like yet, because I wasn't, I didn't cultivate this body from a sense of love. It was more probably from a sense of, you know, social expectations, maybe validation purposes. That's why it fell apart. And that's why I saw all these ups and downs in my health and fitness journey, Whereas it's like, and this was a big attention going into my ayahuasca ceremony was to be able to achieve that from a place of love, of just self-love, of being for my highest self, as opposed to achieving that from some other asterisks, whether it's to attract girls or whether it's to impress other people. It's more, I want to love myself and I know that that's a healthy body and I just want to embody that sense of being. Yes. I would always ask my clients, you know, and I talk to my students about this too. It's just one simple question, you know, to ask yourself, how can I vibrate higher today? Mm. That's it. You know, if that means putting some minerals in your water or choosing 
maybe an amazing salad or, I mean, I told you about my slug days that I love or eating a fucking medium pizza to the dome, you know, like if that's, if that will like allow me to vibrate at a higher level, like I'm going to choose that, you know, and that is a loving choice, right? doesn't have to be good old fashioned kale and asparagus. It can be whatever you want. What vibration do you want to match for yourself? Right. How can I vibrate higher today? You know, and that's that's that question you can ask yourself time and time again and find that answer out. I love that because and then after that is to make space for that divine knowledge to come into you, you know, maybe meditate on it where it's like, how can I vibrate higher? And it's funny too, because this is something we haven't talked about yet, but we talked about my porn addiction and and the whole like Akashic mm-hmm. Records and past life. Yeah. And in my ayahuasca like uh, integration ceremony, and this would be in the previous episode, this answer came up is, you know, I was talking about it and it's like, I want to fix this. And, and the um, shaman was kind of like, well, why do you not want to look at porn? Like, you know, if, if it's down to like one time a week, like, why is it, why do you not want to look at it? And I sat there and I was like, huh, I was like, that's a good question. And what came up was is societal, you know, all these programmings that it's bad and terrible. And and don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. I mean, by no means am I encouraging that people go and just watch porn, but it comes back kind of the same conversation with alcohol. It's like if you're just getting, you know, hammered 24-7 on a, you know, weekday, it's like you're not going to be producing or going forward in life. Man as well. If but if you're drinking like a glass or two of red wine on a weekend, it's like there's not really a big deal there. And right. so it really helped me redefine that in my mind where it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, the idea of like recirculating the, you know, um, energy in the body through, you know, semen retention. And we can get into that whole conversation. Yeah. But the whole point of what I'm trying to get at here is like how, like what we define as bad becomes bad, but you can have this healthy association with everything. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of lessons in yoga too. You know, we talk a lot about duality, bad, wrong, you know, or bad, good, right, wrong, right? Where take out the duality piece, you know, and what we consider under like societal norms, like porn or, you know, eating the eating pizza or what, whatever, you know, like all drinking, drugs, pot, whatever, Molly, all of it, psilocybin, right? Yeah. If you're fucking tripping every single goddamn day and not growing, that's a little bit of a problem, right? The pendulum swung too far. But even like, you know, when I watch porn, because I love porn, I'll do it here and there. I've never had a problem with it, but I do enjoy it, right? But I make a ceremony out of it, you know, where it's like, Mm. I have a projector. So I'll like put, I (laughs) I like watching lesbian porn. That's my jam. But, you know, I put the projector on, I get my vibrator out, got my lube. And it's like, it is like, it's a scene, you know, it's a whole ceremonial scene and oh my God, those orgasms are next level because it's not just like twiddle the bean. All right, I'm done. You know, it's, it's right. an actual like step into the process, enjoy the process. Right. So yeah, it's, it's porn isn't bad or wrong, you know, especially with your relationship with porn, you know, and it doesn't have to be, I'm never seeing it again, but making it that ceremony for yourself of like, I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to honor the fuck out of it. I love that. And it's reminding me of like what comes back to your intention with it. You know, if you're, you know, just throwing it on your phone, jumping in the bathroom and trying to do like a 10, 15 minute thing of it, you know, your intention isn't coming from that place of, you know, high energy, making it this 
ceremony, right? Because, you know, when we do masturbate, male or female, it's this connection to divinity in a sense. And so if you're just, just throwing those juices to the wind, you know, it's, you're not matching it with the highest intention. And then, and then there's shame that comes afterwards because you're like, I know I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong, blah, blah, blah. And there is like this lower. And, and here's an interesting point too, is, you know, there's a thing where guys tend to believe that, well, I want to be careful with this because I know that (laughs) there is a release of energy whenever you do masturbate as a guy, I'm not sure how it feels as a girl, but you know, there is that release. And so you are physically releasing energy. What I have noticed though, is if I match my intention of why I'm doing it, right? If my intention is to, you know, circulate out the old, like release old energy, or it's to maybe actually come in contact with that divine, that divine spirit. Like, because I believe even in, uh, I believe it's Taoic principles, like you are supposed to circulate out that energy. You don't want to just hold Mm -hmm. it in. I mean, at, at a certain level you do and you don't, and this is a gray line, but the point I'm trying to get at is that if I match my intention with like, okay, I'm doing this to actually, you know, release any negative sexual, sexual energy that I'm still holding onto from the last week or the last month or whatever, mm-hmm. I don't notice as much of a drop off, if any, of a drop off of energy after I do it. Mm, that's fascinating. I love that. You know, like it's, it again, it goes back to your intentions, right? You know, and I really love how you had said like the release, right? You know, it's because it is like when anyone orgasms, like, yes, men release their seed. And like, you know, we release as well, both obviously in different ways. Um, we can have three different orgasms, right? Clitoral, vaginal, you know, um, cervical, right? So it's like kind of depending on whatever orgasm, the woman is receiving, right. Or giving them, giving yourselves it's, it can, all three of those types of orgasms feel different and are there in different places. Some are harder to achieve than the other ones like clitoral. Obviously that's the easy button, literally, Um, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) so it's like, you can choose your path, right. You know, like pick your flavor. What is your intention? You know, sometimes it's like, you know, with my ceremonies that I do with like the projector and like with the women and I love women so much. So it's like I, that I'm, it's really enjoyable for me. And inside of that ceremony, I feel, I usually do it like before nighttime to kind of ease myself off from the day and go to sleep, you know? And oh my God, those nights that I have my little masturbation ceremony, I sleep so well, sleep so, so well. And I notice that like, it's funny actually talking through this right now, but I notice when I wake up those, um, the mornings after I feel more balanced in my femininity. I feel more feminine. I feel more flowy, like more graceful the next day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious because I feel like you based on like your story and I don't even know if we'll get to your beginning part of your story because <laughs> it's really fascinating how you're at where you're at today, but we'll, we'll see what comes up. But cool. a portion of your story, it seems like you are surrounded a lot by masculine energy, whether it's men or masculine females, it feels like that's a big part of your um, experience. What I'm interested in is whenever this comes to masturbation, because I really don't know with regards to women, I have been surrounded by a lot of women in my life. Too, so but I've never asked this question, I guess it feels like with, you know, a lot of the Taoist principles or at least semen retention, a lot of the energy is almost in my, in my experience, it's more guided towards men where it's like, you know, 
you know, be the fact that we need to actually reproduce a seed, you know, that takes energy yeah. from our body. It takes blood. It takes, I believe, cerebral fluid to actually recreate these DNA cells versus with women. It, it, it appears to me, please correct me wherever I'm wrong on this, that it's really just, you know, amplifying the energy in your body. And I, I guess it doesn't appear to me that anything is really being dissipated. And maybe that's because it's not physical. Like there's not like actually a physical, unless you're squirting, but that's a whole nother (laughs) conversation. (laughs) So, so in your opinion, how is the, like, is there kind of a similarity? Is there a difference with that idea of the releasing of energy? Like, like, is there almost like a female version of semen retention? I guess it's kind of my question. Yeah. I mean, in a way like edging, right. You know, um, right before, the orgasm, I don't necessarily do this in masturbation because my intention for masturbating is to fall into an orgasm, right? Is to achieve an orgasmic state of ecstasy, right? Um, in sex, edging, it can be very, very fun, right? Where you're mm. like so close and then he or I kind of back off and it just builds. It's like, I can actually kind of explain it in my belly a little bit. It's like your low belly and if women are listening to this, they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like a belly flip, you know, or it's like your uterus almost like pulsates in a way. And you can feel this like butterfly flip in your belly, almost like, you know, you're going on a roller coaster, like a G-force kind of thing. And it's like, ooh, you know, like it's it's very stimulating and exciting um, where you don't get all the way to that orgasmic state. It does this flip, you know, like right before, which is very aligned with ecstasy, right? You know, that state of ecstasy without the actual physical orgasm of your, you know, your cervix and, you know, like contracting. Because when you, when a woman orgasms, the cervix will contract about eight to 12 times. It does pulsate in there, right? I've felt and that's that, when you're, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. It's so great. Um, but yeah, so it's like right before those contractions begin, if pulling back, like I said, I don't do this in masturbation, but in, in sex, yes. Um, you know, pulling back slightly and finding that edge to allow that belly flop to go. And then when you eventually do orgasm, if that is your choice and if that is your intention, um, which normally nine times out of 10, when I'm having sex, that is, um, <laughs> I think we can all agree yeah, on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, when you do finally get to that orgasm, it's like fucking unreal. It's unreal. You know, it's just it's like, boom, fireworks, you know? Um, but yeah, it feels like that belly flip and just to kind of go back, go backwards as well, you know, in, in sex, right? Like we're talking about the male and the female where males you know, you guys literally, your ejaculation, right? You literally release. Where us women, think about like, you know, the, the anatomy, right? Us women, we receive, we pull mm-hmm. in. You guys are getting in, we are receiving you, right? There is, you're going inside of our bodies, right? Where you stay right. externally outside of your body. So I feel men, men are more of the release, women are more of the receivers. Of course. Mm-hmm. That's interesting too, because I think there's a similar thing with guys where if you do edge, like if you edge to that, we call it the point of no return where, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you can't stop. It's going no matter what. And if you stop right before the point of no return, it, it kind of does a similar thing. I don't think there's much of a belly flip, but if you keep hitting that point of no return, point of no return, and then eventually I actually do release, it does actually amplify it for us as well. 
So yeah. it's really fascinating to hear that parallel because I've never really thought of it that way. You know, being with a, a girl, for instance, like I was always just kind of like, all right, let's get her there. Like, all right, cool. She did it. <laughs> like self-validation, sick. I'm a yeah. beast, you know? <laughs> and so I find that fascinating as a point of actually like a tease, you know, which can mm-hmm. be very hot in its own right of mm-hmm. kind of teasing that orgasm within your partner. Absolutely. And it also allows, you know, the two partners to get to know each other more, right? To understand each other's bodies, not only looking, you know, visually, but internally, right? You know, how he or she feels when I do X, Y, and Z, you know? And it's, I Mm. feel like that is, gives the opportunity to create more intimacy, more vulnerability. Um, And especially if you converse afterwards, right? This felt like this to me. I liked it when you did this. so on and so forth. So that communication just kind of gets up leveled. Um, and again, it's like, that's, that's mastering your sex life right there, right. Of communicating, opening and opening up vulnerably, opening up in a space of safety with each other, um, and holding each other in safety. Right. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. You kind of put it in that lens and here's, I think even a more deeper lens to even take this conversation a little deeper, the idea of communication, right? Because I feel like, at least in my past, and this might've been a little bit more of a wounded Clayton who would have felt this way, where you don't want to have like these upfront conversations, right? Like, like if I were to come out and be like, oh, Alina, I think you're, you know, so beautiful, like da 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 da, like here are my intentions, dot, dot, dot. I think from a more wounded place, I would have seen that to not be as fun. It wouldn't have been as mystical. It wouldn't have been as like, let me feel into my energy and see what would happen. Like, And I think where it gets unhealthy, where it gets into that wounded place, the wounded masculine, is whenever <coughs> you almost perpetuate that through the whole thing. And then there's like this unhealthy dynamic of, well, maybe he's into me. Maybe he's not into me. Maybe she's into me. Maybe she's not into me. And then it kind of perpetuates too far. So to bring back the question, right? You know, there's a level of, there's an interesting level of reading and feeling into your partner's energy when trying something that's new sexually versus having this analytical conversation of, okay, well, I'm going to do this. Then you do that. Then you do this. Then I do that. So where do you kind yeah, you don't mm-hmm. you're not feeling into the energy. You're too much in your logical mind. Yeah. So how does that kind of like resonate with you? And like how do you find balance between the communication before doing something new sexually, whether it's actually sex the first time and mm-hmm. and afterwards after the fact of like, hey, we tried this new thing. What did you think of it? Yeah. Um I want to kind of preface this with my, you know, my ex-partner who we're uncoupling right now with, right? Um in the beginning of our relationship, I think this was like our second or third date. This is, yeah, we had already gotten intimate. Um, we had sex one, the the first time. So this was the, the second time that he had asked this question. We had had sex and it was amazing. Um, obviously it was conscious. It was beautiful. Consent was there. Bing, bang, boom. It was a total blast. Um, but again, it's a, it's a brand spanking new, right? You know, we met each other at Lightning in a Bottle. There was a lot of sexual energy, friend group, la, la, la. I felt safe with him. He felt safe with me. Let's bang it out, right? So, <laughs> so we did. Two thumbs um, up. <laughs> two thumbs up, exactly. So it wasn't as conscious. We didn't converse in that 
in that time and that point because the intimacy level was obviously sexual intimacy, but the intimacy of my mind and his mind, my body, his body, it was brand spanking new. Um, and I think this was, like I mentioned, like the second or third time I hung out with him and he had this little futon and I'm sitting on the edge of the futon and he kind of leans up to me and he goes, holds my knees, goes, Hey, I have a question for you. And I'm like, what's up? And he goes, what are your boundaries? What do you mean? He goes, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want a relationship? Do you want a casual relationship? Do you want fun sex? Like, I want to hear what you want, you know? And it gave me the opportunity to like, shit. Number one, I've never had a man ask me that before. <laughs> um, and number two, it was like, I have to actually think about what, what are my desires? You know, cause this dude that I'm talking with right now, he's not just some, some fuck boy off the street. You know, he's a very intelligent and conscious self-actualized man. So he's asking me these questions and expecting a deep answer. Right. And it's my job to look into myself and give him that answer, not only for him, but for myself too. What does Alina want? You know? So, and you know, I laid out from, that was five years ago of where, where I was. Um, and inside of that, it gave me permission to lean into safety, right? Because now he knows straight up, clean as fucking day, what is it that I want? And he obviously, you know, told me, I asked him as well, what is, what is it that you want? Everything's clear on the table, easy peasy, right? So that's really what I got so inspired with, you know, with my ex-partner um, that I'm, I'm pulling into every single relationship that you know, I'll continue down the line with, what do you want? Right. You know, and getting very, very clear on that. And once you create that safety, you know, inside of that relationship on that level, then you can step into that more intimate level, right? Sex is intimacy, right? Masturbation is intimacy, you know, working with each other's bodies and orgasms. Those are all very, very intimate and vulnerable pieces of the pie of our life. Right. So, it needs to create this container of safety first, and then you can start talking about the deeper things of what my desires are, what kinks are, um, so on and so forth. But again, at the root of it all, it has to be safe, especially for a woman to talk about, you know, those things. Um, because again, there's, there's a lot of sexual trauma out there. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of wounding that has happened and still happens that isn't necessarily talked about that much. So conscious monkeys, I need to bring your attention to this company that I've been using over the past few months and probably longer now, if you're hearing this, that has absolutely changed the way that I'm actually interfacing with the world. It's a company by the name of conscious technologies. And what they do is actually create these harmonizing units. And what it does is it actually takes the rotation of EMF frequencies that are in your area and harmonizes them. They make them in line with the true natural frequency of the universe around you. And they're incredible products. I actually went and I've tested out their quantum flow unit. I've tested out their meditation bed, their core harmonizer. And quite frankly, they were so incredible that I actually bought the cell phone EMF harmonizer for my cell phone. I was also lucky enough that Ross threw in a necklace as well. So I've been wearing that thing and quite frankly, I'm even wearing it to bed and my dreams have become so vivid and just intense that it's pretty insane. I honestly feel so grateful to have it. Their mission is to bring forth technologies that support the harmony of mankind and the world at large. Go check out their stuff. I mean, looking's for free. And if I'm being honest, if you click the link below and make a purchase, I do get some kickback. But quite frankly, I wouldn't be promoting it if it didn't work. So with that being said, go check them out. Conscious Technologies, LLC link below. Now let's get back to the interview.
Again, sex can be fucking highly triggering for a lot of people. So again, get, getting that clear, that plate very, very clear to have those types of conversations. And when you feel that it is good and right and safe to do so, then it's starting to open up that door, right? I think safe words are a beautiful thing. Um, you know, it's kind of like, there's kind of funny in a way, you know, pineapple or whatever. <laughs> but I think it's a wonderful thing of like, you know, creating a safe word not, doesn't have to be just with like BDSM or anything like that, but creating a safe word in the beginning of a relationship of rather than, do you like this? Do you not like this? Do you like this? Do you not like this? You know, kind of ruins the mood sometimes, you know, right. if you're just flowing with each other and allowing, allowing the sexual, you know, charisma to just move organically. If you're continuously asking questions and analyzing with your Sherlock Holmes, freaking, you know, monocle, it's right. not, that, that isn't that hot. Right. So it's like, you know, having these clarifying conversations before when that container of safety is already solidified. That's really fascinating. And I'm starting to think of this now in the lens of like, like you were saying, where if you keep asking, like, is this okay? Is it okay if I touch you? Is it okay if I kiss you? Is it okay if I grab here? It's like, I'm trying to view this now in a lens of like, whenever we were rooming together and I'm also trying to think about this in a lens of like that situation of just like, dude, just like, just do it. And I'll tell you whenever I'm uncomfortable. Right. So maybe that's where I'm trying to, it's like, where's this like boundary of just do whatever you're going to do. And I'll tell you whenever I'm uncomfortable with it, you, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking about this in the, in the room, whenever it was you and Jen and I, and we were trying to have that conversation, but you were like ready for bed and you're like, okay, I'm going to come over into like your bed and we'll chill. And this is a whole another conversation with nudity that I want to <laughs> have at some point. Yeah. But then uh, to me, I was just like, yeah, just I'll like, I'll tell you if I'm uncomfortable with it. Like, it's cool. Yeah. But I, but I also do respect you asking and being like, Hey, is it cool if I just come and hang out? Like I'm naked by the way. And it's like, yeah, because, because it's interesting because we have had a conversation where I'm not sure where I stand on it and I have a little bit more insight. So I'm trying to figure out what the conversation is there. Cause I feel like I just went down a bunch of different rabbit holes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's that piece of consent. I wanted to add on to this too. Like it's, and this is what's, what's tricky because consent is a word, right? Yes or no. Right. And my languaging as of late, when I've been leaning a little more into what consent means, what that looks like and all that, I will say yes or no like those words, not everyone has that capability. You know, a lot of people, myself included, can feel the energy of someone, right? You know, if you're attracted to someone, um, if they're attracted to you, sometimes you can feel that energy. Sometimes you can be wrong, right? Where, and this is where it gets sticky, where mm -hmm. I don't want to. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't want to have to ask a dude to slap my ass and give it a nice ass grab. Right. No, but there is that space of consent, right? You know, for instance, there's like, there's one person right now that can go in for it and he knows that he can, you know, where it's like, if there'd be a, someone random, that's not okay, but he can feel the energy of me. And I've also looked him in the eyes and just said, yes, you know, with no questions, but like you're yes, you know? So 
there's that that's that slippery slope where you can feel into the consent of energy, but you have to better fucking know that you're 100 percent on. Right. And again, where does that where does that line of consent lie? Does it have to be the word yes? Does it have to be the word no? For me at this point, I think I think that the answer is yes. Um, you do have to say those words. That's why I've gotten a little more comfortable of saying it. Um, but really feeling into those at that energy of, you know, when I popped into your bed naked, because we just were gonna like chat, right? Feeling into your con- the, the consent with you, because I asked for consent with you, right? Where it was because we had talked about, you know, the porn and the nudity and like all of that stuff. And you would, we were talking about like desexualizing nudity. I'm so curious about this, you know, and we were just wrapping out about it. So I knew that was in the back of your mind, whereas it would have been a disservice to you with not knowing your boundaries in that moment. You're trying to go to sleep. You're about to leave at fucking 4 a.m., you know, but like, I didn't want to rile you up because that was try, the thing, try right? Try to leave at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that was the thing. That was because you wanted less stimulus, right? Right, And you have Jen right. and I there, just two little naked jaybirds, big old boobs running around, you know? Um, so I wanted to ask your consent first. We had talked about nudity. You were already fine with it. No mat, no problem. But you wanted less stimulus. So asking that consent for you to pop into your bed and wrap out for those last like, you know, 30 minutes before we go to sleep um, where I can just sit there new, not with the blanket over my shoulders, you know, and you consented. Yes. Right. Which was, which was great. And then nor here nor there. It was just easy peasy lemon squeezy. Which is a, which is a good point, right? Is I'm trying to think this through a little bit because this is a, definitely going to be a point of contention for men majority of men, right? This idea of, oh, there was a naked girl in your bed and you guys didn't have sex. Like, you know, (laughs) poke, poke, poke. Like I I already can hear it (laughs) because I know where I've come from in my past. Yeah. And it's very interesting too, because this comes into a place of the old age of thinking where, you know, the, the idea of nudity, like, And this is a very, it's a difficult conversation for me to have because I'm not really sure where to go with it. It's very Mm -hmm. new for me and I'm still not sure where I lie on it uh, because, you know, it's this, it's this feeling of almost trying to overcome your, your sexual instincts or your genetic or biological makeup where it's like, oh, new girl, sex versus like, there's plenty of indigenous cultures that don't wear like any clothes at all. And I remember seeing this in like a national geographic whenever I was younger and being like, this is so fascinating because to them, this means nothing. But in this, you know, third world, not even third world, but in, in this majority of the population, we've agreed that nudity is something we need to cover. We need to hide. We need to close up. It's something that we should be blocking ourselves from. And the other thing that kind of comes up and this ties back into what we were talking about earlier, which is with the idea of consent, because I know that there are instances, and this is maybe coming from a little bit more of my old self thinking, where there are times where girls say no, but it doesn't specifically mean no. Like a no, don't do that is a lot different than a no, don't do that. Yes. And so that's where I think that this conversation for people who aren't aware of where we're coming from would get trapped into this conversation of like, uh, well, not always, or, and I'm really struggling with this one. I, <laughs> I'm kind of a loss for words, which doesn't happen too often. Are you able to help bail me out here a little bit? Let's see. I mean, 
with the idea of nudity and, you know, like no means no means no means no means no means no. Right. But well, sometimes. To reflect, exactly. But to reflect back on what you were saying, you know, it could be just a no in that moment and a no of that, like, I'm going to be a little cheeky with you and say no and then attack you in like five seconds. You know, there's, and then there's no, right. You know, like what, just like what you were saying. Um, again, it's a fine line. And I really go back to the energetics about it and in full knowing, make that choice, right? Like when you fully are 100% true in your knowing and your honor that other person's knowing as well, there's an energetic exchange in that. That's when you get the green light to like, oh, this is totally a no or like whatever, whatever level of no it is. Because I know in my path, you know, in my past um, and my path of my life as well, I've sent some slippery no's where I really wanted a yes. Um, but it felt a little more fun to say no because it's a little more bad, you know, right. which which can like, you know, increase that energy a little bit more. Everyone that I have said that, you know, naughty no to um, completely safe with the energy. Right. So that's like someone random and brand new. I wouldn't play that game with, you know, because they there's no safety in that. Right. And again, the feminine mm. needs to be safe inside of the masculine. Right. Um, and, and and from that space too, the masculine needs to lead. Right. You know, that's, that's the, that's the goal of the masculine is to lead, to build the empire, to do all, you know, the structure, the safety, all of that stuff, the providership. Um, so if the masculine is leading in a really safe way and he's getting some cutesy slippery nose from someone, you know, a male or female, whomever that is in their femininity, that kind of wants to be a little more playful, a little more childlike and like poke the bear in a way. Um, I feel like that can organically work out really beautifully, but there has to be that container of safety for that person to be a little slippy slip in, you know? Um, and like, oh, go ahead. No, I was keep, keep going oh. with your thing. Okay. Um, and like, you know, from the nudity standpoint with it too, nudity is also very triggering for people, right? You know, um, I'm like a little fucking nudist, you know, I've always been nude. I mean, my, that's the thing. My mom never sexualized me as a young child, you know, if I wanted to take off my shirt in a party when I'm three years old, she wouldn't be like, Alina, put your shirt back on, you know? Mm. Um, you know, I, we have this huge backyard in Reno. I would run around naked and play in the sprinklers all day and she'd pick up the dog shit and garden, you know? So I was always running around the yard nude, running around my house nude. All my mom's friends were just extremely safe. And like, again, just being around in my diaper, you know, when I was a child, friends were around, there's like all the photos of me when I was a child, I'm like, naked or my diaper all the time, you know, and I never had gotten sexualized, you know, at a very young age. When I hit puberty, I started really getting interested in, into sex um, and what that is and, you know, the naughtiness of it. Drugs and alcohol came along with that as well. So that was an interesting Always time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, even back then, you know, when I was, you know, I lost my virginity very young. I was 13. Um, and but back then I was always so comfortable being nude, you know, like the boys and I would go skinny dipping in like Lake Tahoe or the river. Um, I remember the first time I saw a penis, it weirded me out though. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it was like, I've never really had, I really think the, 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 a healthy relationship with, with nudity being naked is 
really dials back into how you were raised. You know, how you were raised, how you were brought up. Was it through the church? Um, I didn't was not raised in the church at all, at all. So um I think there's I, I there's no taboo, there was no bad or wrong about your naked body, no matter what shape, size, color you are. Um, you know, my grandpa had the National Geographic, you know, magazines out, but he had like a subscription to it for like fucking 50 years. So my cousins and I would go through that, you see, you know. African boobies and everything. It's just like, oh yeah, that's normal. We probably saw the same subscription. Yeah. <laughs> we saw the same issue. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I was like, I feel like I'm so comfortable with it. For Jen, for instance, you know, my bestie that you had met on the retreat, she was raised in a very similar way as me. You know, she actually was raised in the church a lot though, too, but very little nudist little bird. But her parents kind of lean more towards the hippie side of things, as do mine, where it's like all free living, you know? Yeah, because it's it's really interesting where my mind goes with it is two different avenues, and I'll let you pick up on whichever avenue you wish to mm-hmm. go through. The first one is is that culturally speaking, we assume if a kid is probably they're walking, so what is it, probably below the age of four, um, and they're nude. Like I've been on San Diego's beach, and there's like nude kids running around. Now yep. I have a propensity to avert my eyes with the fear because of the fear of being judged as a pedophile. If you look at that mm-hmm. kid and then, you know, it's like, Oh shit, like I can't look too long or else I'll be classified as a pedophile. Right. And so there's, there's definitely that fear in my mind of staring at a kid under four naked for too long. Yeah. And then where that gets interesting is like, okay, at what age do we determine that you're supposed to now cover up? I think there's also a propensity of, you know, maybe, and maybe this comes back to intention. Like what's the intent of covering up? Is it to be like ashamed of your body? Like, you know, kind of these different ideas. Um, man, this is a tough, con- like I can, I'm usually good with conversations. I could figure out and <laughs> articulate what I want to say, but this is a difficult one for me. I love um, it. It's good. It's edging you. Oh yeah. Unintended <laughs> 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 <Pun> again. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, and the other thought, the other, what was the other thought that I wanted to bring up? Something along the lines of, I lost it. But so maybe that's lost the thought it. we're supposed to go on. Maybe that's the thought cool. we're supposed to go on here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and with with that, it's it's it's, it's interesting because the uh, a male and female, right? Whatever gender you are, women kind of get a little more easefulness in there right? Because we do grow humans inside of our bodies. You guys don't, right? So, and we are mothers, right? You know, of course, not every woman on the planet is by all means. Um, Some want to be, some don't want to be, but there is that intrinsic thing. At least I'll speak for myself. There is this thing inside of me. If, if I hear a baby crying, if I, if there's, if a child is in danger, I drop fucking everything. I don't care who it belongs to make sure the child is safe period. End of story. I love children. And I've always known deep down that I'm going to be a mother at some point in my life. I'm one of, I'm just one of those gals, you know, I know that I'll be a mother at at some point in my life. Um, I'm in no rush, but it's like, I, I do know that. So me going to a naked child, you know, talk, leaning down, talking to the child, touching their shoulders looks very different than you going up them again. I'm five foot zero, right? The small little woman, you are not, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you were to go to, a, you know, a screaming child that's naked alone, 
you know, in the middle of the park and you put your hands on their shoulders, that's going to look very different than if I do. Right. For sure. Um, absolutely. So, and again, who knows, like maybe I'm the pedophile, right. You know, it's like no one knows, right. You know, women absolutely can be pedophiles 100%, right. That's, that's a spectrum in and of itself. For sure. It's not just, you know, connected to the sexes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating how women have a little bit more of an e- a more easeful time with, you know, the children aspect of like that kind of growing up. Also, in the flip side of things, a harder time because women do get sexualized earlier than men, mm. right? You know, depending on if you develop faster, you know, I had boobs at like, you know, 11 years old, you know, I did what the fuck, you know, and boys looking at my tits, like I, I don't, you don't, you don't have the the mind to do that. You're not mature enough for that yet. But again, the human body is an incredible thing. So when I started developing, I was getting this attention from somewhere else. So my curve started going in. So when I was 13, I looked like I was 18, mm. right? And the maturity level of a 13 year old, obviously, if that. Um, but I would, you know, and I liked wearing like tight clothes and I've always loved looking sexy and like, you know, um, feeling good in my body and in my clothing. It's, it's a, it's a piece of art, you know, that you're wearing. It's, it's a a way of self-expressing who you are. Um, and I lean more on the flirtatious, more sexy side of things. Like I like talking about this shit. Um, cause that's just who I am. I'm comfortable in it, but I got comfortable in it because it kind of started a little early, you know, where I would walk down the street in Reno in downtown and get hollered at by these 50 year olds. Right. You know, I'm 13. Um, you know, or 20 or 30 year olds hitting on me because I looked older and I was more developed than I actually was doing the makeup and all the things. Right. So it's yes. Women have a little bit more of capability to, um, the easefulness with, with children and, and, and being naked, but also in the, the same side of the coin or the flip side of the coin, it's can be harder for us as well, because when you get tits, right, you know, you become a woman I like to call it like power of the pussy, right? You know, people want women, right? It's, it's want, it's a desire, right? You know, that's why they're sold, you know, like that's, it's a big thing, right? So it's, you know, with the, with all the sexual, you know, mishaps that happen and the rape and all the victimization and stuff, but there's two sides of it. And I land very much in the middle of it all and very, uh, what's the word? Not conscious, confident in, in who I am and what my body looks like and what my body can do. Um, so that's kind of like, that's where I'm at at least. And every single person on the planet will have a different relationship, you know, with nudity, right. Depending on how they were raised, if they have any sexual traumas, if how, you know, if they were raised in the church, how their parents told them, did they get sexualized early? There's so many different facets to that. Right. So, um, I think it really just depends on who the person is and their upbringing of their life and where they land at this point now. Conscious Monkeys, are you looking for a CBD cream that actually works? I've tried many different CBD products and I've really never truly felt like any of them have worked for me. Like maybe there'd be like a little bit of tingling and then it would fade pretty quickly. Then came along Revive CBD. From the first time I tried it on, I could tell that there was something different about this product. I noticed that any joint pain I had was gone within minutes of applying it, and it lasted for a significant duration. I don't have an exact time for you guys, but do your own test. (laughs) 
So if you're still looking for the right CBD cream, then this might be the right one for you. Because if you resonate with my vibe, then maybe you'll resonate with this vibe. I actually kind of just made that up on the spot. So hopefully you liked it. <laughs> Check out the link below. And as a side note, like always, the link below is an affiliate link. But again, I would not be promoting them if it didn't work for me. So hopefully it'll work for you. Again, check it out below, myrevibe.com. Get yours today. And with that being said, Conscious Monkeys, let's get back to the interview. So oh, yeah. Like just, just to add on too, you know, like at retreat, we had, you know, the night we all went skinny dipping. I don't think you went, you went skinny dipping that night, did you? I wasn't there that night. You no. weren't there. Yeah. There was two people that had never gone skinny dipping before. And, you know, in circle, you know, in closing ceremony, um, I'll leave the names out of it, but you know, someone, one of the retreat yeah. members, yeah, they had mentioned like, that was, that was his favorite night. He had never done that before. And that was his favorite night. He felt so free and open. Because he's never experienced something like that. And again, the container of safety, right? right. All, me all men and women both, nude as little jaybirds, just rolling around the pool, having fun and not being sexualized. Just humans talking with each other with no clothes on. Right. And, you know, I think two things happened that night. Number one, I was preparing for my ayahuasca. And so there was a, a fear within me that I would get overstimulated in that situation <laughs> and just, let's just not put ourselves in bad situations. Mm -hmm. But then also it was kind of late at night. And so I removed, I think I probably just went to bed before everyone was even going to do it. Yeah. But the really fascinating thing after the fact, and I think this was probably a very beautiful and thing to see after the fact was how people talked about it the next day where it was like this thing of like, it didn't, I don't know how to describe it, but there was, like you said, there was this open and safe container where like, it didn't matter almost. And it sounds like a lot of healing went into that because I remember another girl that was there where they were just having like a face-to-face -face conversation. Everything was like, you know, you know, they were having some deep conversation and then it just like, it came to her like in the middle of it. it's like, wait, we're both naked. Like it was something that like, wasn't even kind of thought about until like yeah. halfway through this conversation. It's like, wait, we're sitting right beside each other, completely naked. Like this is, this is supposed to be quote unquote strange and weird. And we're not supposed to do this, but in actuality, it's like, we can do that. Like it's, there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing, there is a way it appears based on that to desexualize nudity. Mm -hmm. Now, where my mind goes with this, and I'm going to be speaking on behalf of men who are still in the polarization of, I'm going to be speaking on my behalf. Let me not speak for men. I'm going to be speaking mm -hmm. on my behalf of my old self, okay. where I would have seen this as something that would be a tool used to maybe demasculinize demasculinize men in a sense where if you're propagating, if you're propagating this kind of stuff that you're taking away, I don't know how to describe it anymore. I mean, I would have been able to describe this better back in the day, but mm. it's like this idea that there's no more masculinity in a sense where we're trying to get rid of the masculine man, but it, it, it almost feels like a redefinition of it where it's not like you can be nude and not have sexual energy. Like you can be nude yeah. and still be a masculine man. That doesn't, that shouldn't have an influence on it. Right. Yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm trying to speak towards old Clayton because, yeah. you know, I want to add some polarity into this conversation. Yeah. 
And so I'm curious how that strikes you of this idea that maybe the idea of like not being as masculine, if you're okay with, if you're able to be nude in the presence of very attractive women who are also nude, but then not be aroused by it, do you feel like that there could be any, I feel like the answer, I'm, I'm asking this question for polarity. I don't truly believe the answer is yes, but do you feel like that there's a possibility for an, a, a possibility where it goes to a subconscious level that it feels weird to even say, but that where men wouldn't be attracted to a feminine body anymore in a sexual way, if nudity were to become normalized, desexualizing nudity was a thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm loving where my brain is going with this right now because I'm thinking of like, number one, let's zoom out, right? This is just this fucking piece of fabric of sheath on my body. It's not that big of a deal, right? Everyone knows I am naked underneath this sheath. Everyone knows you are naked underneath that sheath. So what does this piece of fabric or material mean? right? You know, like what is that? What is the meaning behind it? If you really kind of like zoom out, I am naked underneath this. You are naked underneath that. He and she are naked underneath whatever they're wearing, right? Um, period, end of story. You're born naked as well. Um, you know, we didn't, we're born with clothes on. So that's kind of like, you know, when you zoom out of the, like of the lens and really look at, look at it from like a, an, an objective perspective, right? Um, or, yeah. And I feel like, let's pretend, you know, like to go back to your question, let's pretend nudity is nudity and everyone is nude all over the place. I feel that that is, could be an actually a better opportunity for more connection on a deeper level versus connecting with, you know, some hot guy or hot girl that you're attracted to with clothes on. Cause then back of your mind, I wonder what they look like with their clothes on. Mm. You know, so it's like, and that is a port of a very big portion of attraction that you and I and the society that we live in go on, right? It's 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 one of the goals, right? You know, like if you are wanting to get sexually intimate with that person, step one is taking off their clothes, right? First base, you mm-hmm. know, first base is making out, second base is the boobs, right? I always forget something um, like that. Something it's like different that. for everybody, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, so it's like. So let's pretend we're live in this world where everyone is a nudist. It gives people that opportunity, not only just to get past that first goal of taking off X's, you know, clothes, clothing, but taking off the sheets of the mind of like, what do they actually think about? What are they, what are their wants and the desires and their, what kind of intimacy do I want to have this person? Do they think the same things that I do? Do they have the same morals and, and goals that I do? So I feel like, you know, strip the clothing off actually gives humans, men and women, a better capability to connect with each other on a very deeper and more vulnerable level. Um, I would be down for that. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's I think this is a great place because I was thinking of this earlier. Let's stick on this idea of a of a world where let's say we're in San Diego, it's warm enough, we don't need to bundle up because we're not in the mountains, we're not in cold right. weather. Let's say let's say we're living in this hypothetical world where clothing's optional. 
hundred percent optional. The average person, if you're living in San Diego, you're new 24 mm-hmm. seven, because I think, I think this is also a beautiful place to examine. I, you know, this is, would be like a, a polarizing, it's like the extreme, right? I love going to the extreme for conversations because I think this is where you can find a lot of truth in whether or not it's a good idea. And so with this being said, you know, I see clothes as a, this could be a way to peel back another layer of yourself, to show up authentically, to almost force yourself to be in love with who you are because, because I'm trying to see how shame and guilt come into this. But if you're, if you know that you're going to be walking around naked, there could be a stronger incentive in order for you to eat healthier. There could be a stronger Mm. incentive in order for you to work out more. There could be a stronger incentive to stay away from unhealthy stuff because you know you're going to be exposing yourself. Mm -hmm. And where this even gets more interesting is now you're even showing up as a more authentic self, right? If I'm wearing a, let's say a Nike t-shirt, I am now more identified with Nike. If I'm wearing a Pirates, I identify with that baseball team. But if you're able to strip it away and show up purely as you with no clothes whatsoever, you're now showing up more as your authentic self. Yep. Yep. I love that. I would love to live in a world like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's truly is. I mean, it's, it's the root of vulnerability. You're truly seen. You have, you can't hide. Right. Cause like clothes, there's a space of hiding, you know, like, when I have like, you know, if I'm on my moon cycle and I'm feeling all bloated, you know, I'll wear like a baggier shirt, right? You know, because it's number one, it's more comfortable. Um, but number two, it's like, oh, I feel fluffy today. I don't really want to, I don't really want to be seen in that, you know, um, which is silly. What the fuck? There's nothing wrong with my fluffy belly. There's nothing wrong with my moon cycle, you know, but society has programmed us so much of, you know, because I'm a small girl. And I love my body. I have a beautiful body. It's very fit and healthy and because that's what how I treat it, right? Um, I'm obviously in fucking yoga tops, like yoga bras and tight yoga pants every single day pretty much. Um, but to cover myself up when I am in that space of like, or after slug day, after I ate the medium pizza, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll wear like baggier clothes the next day because I have this like, you know, and I feel a little more inflamed, right? So if, I don't think I would not not make that choice if we lived in a world like that. It would just be more of uh, widely accepted, you know, because again, like look at how your body has changed throughout the years, even in this last year, right? There's an ebb and flow of everything. The only constant is change, period, you know? So our bodies move, they change, they grow. As we get older, you know, our skin changes. We change, we develop, Um, you know? so going with the natural cycles of what our digestive system does, you know, as, especially as a woman, what our moon cycle does, um, what fitness does, you know, moving your body, eating healthy, not eating healthy and everything in between. I think if we did live in a world like that, the judgments would be so much fucking less, so much less. Cause you don't have an opportunity to cover. Right. And part of me also thinks and I think we're we're sticking on the romantic side of this for a little bit longer, mm-hmm. where you know you're talking about like the moon cycle looking a little bit fluffier. It feels to me as almost there would be another invitation to discuss that, like there would be another invitation to 
discuss the idea of being on your when you're saying moon cycle, you're saying period, right? Yeah, That's what yeah. You're, I just and, I just call it my moon. Yeah. Okay. I always <laughs> get it around the full moon. moon. Yep. <laughs> oh, really? That's pretty funny. Yeah. Got it synced up. Yep. Um, and so I don't know because, like, even from a younger age, I feel like this, this the discussion around what goes on in women's bodies, the way that women deal with certain things. I mean, look, I'm even learning stuff in this conversation about you know sexual edging for a woman, which I, mm-hmm. I guess I didn't consciously know, maybe subconsciously there was something there, but consciously wasn't aware of. Yeah. So if there is this more deeper exposure of nudity, then it would be easier. Would it be easier? Would it be easier for us to step into our authentic self of being authentic? And, you know, if you're on your period, let's say, and you're appearing a little bit fluffier that there opens the door for more conversation around periods in general. I would fucking hope so. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, that's my girlfriends and I talk about, you know, our moon cycles or like, you know, periods a lot because women aren't taught what our cervix does that our clitoris is like actually really big, right? You know, it's, it, there's an internal clitoris and an external clitoris. I found this shit out when I was 32 years old, right? You know, like it's ridiculous. I have a vagina book where our cervix will lower and higher, you know, depending on what type of like what stage you're at within your fertility cycle. Um, so yeah, I feel like if, you know, stripped down, clothes are off, we're in this, you know, nudist space, you know, like not nudist space, but clothing optional space of life. I feel like though that knowledge would have to be, it needs to be said more anyways, regardless, but it would have to be appreciated and talked about more because that is what the human body does. Right. And yet there's not this bell that chimes off when you get your period. It's like, Oh snap. Like, Oh, I just got my period. You know, hence those days when you wear the white pants and you, you know, you start your cycle, it's like, fuck, you know, and it's a disaster, you know, but there's no like alarm bells or anything (laughs) like that. Right. So say we're living in this clothing optional society and, you know, a woman starts her period. Oh, okay. You know, like, no, no big deal. Right. You know, it's so, it's such a taboo thing still, you know, I've even been with men in my past where it's like, you know, on my period or start a period of having sex or whatnot, and they get grossed out by it. Right. Where, Mm. yeah, which is, it's just silly, um, Mm -hmm. which made me feel shame, which made me feel guilt. Um, you know, with my last partner, he appreciated my moon cycle, like nobody's fucking business. Right. You know, took care of me when I would have cramps, you know, go grab me tampons or whatever. Like I use a diva cup now, but it's like, he was so supportive in that. And would still have sex with me, you know, like on my period. But I even had traumas from that because of like some certain situations that had happened where they got so grossed out by it. And it's like, again, it's my body. I can't help it. Mm. Um, Every woman on the planet gets it, right? If you have a uterus, you're going to have a period, you know, and that's the name of the game. Everyone's (laughs) mother has, you know. (laughs) So it's like demystifying these things, allowing them to step into their authentic selves because they're like, again, you can't hide right? And authenticity, it's not just the human form, it's what's in your mind, right? And how you communicate and perceive yourself and how you communicate yourself outwardly to the relationships that are around you as well. I think I might be losing some connection here. Are you there? There you are. Are you back? 
Okay, cool. Yep. I, I heard mm-hmm. you talking about demystifying periods and then I lost you for a sec. So oh, okay. Um, it probably caught everything that you said, but maybe cool. just repeat it for me in case I missed it. Let's see. I forget. I was on a tangent. So yeah, de- I mean, it was like demystifying periods um, and allowing that person to come back into their authenticity too, where I was talking about authenticity isn't just the physical form. You know, authenticity is your mind, how you communicate, your relationship with yourself, your relationship outside of yourself with others, right? You know, that's really where the root of authenticity lies. It's not just about the human body. Um, it's about who you believe you are and how you are bringing yourself out into the world in the perceptions of other eyes and your your eyes yourself. You know, that's where that little root of authenticity is, not just the human form. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and where my mind was kind of going with it, and I'm all for authenticity, I love it. And yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking about the whole period situation and it's even like, it even kind of proposes an interesting caveat for like my side of the ballpark where, you know, whenever exes have said like, oh, well, mama, period, it's it's interesting because you, my mind goes straight to like, oh, well, that means they don't want to have sex because of like what you're saying, where it's like this judgmental space. And I'm just like, oh, I don't really care. But then they're like, well, but I care. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's yeah. probably that same thing that you're discussing where it's like, you know, this built-in notion that if, you know, they, you are on your period, then it's like, oh, it becomes this like gross. It's a national thing, yeah. right? But yet there's this stigma that there's something gross about it. And maybe right. maybe there's something with like the blood, which I guess makes sense. Like, but you know, it, it, I guess it comes back to this idea of destigmatizing things, you know, destigmatizing yeah. things that are natural and quite frankly healthy, I suppose, in the majority of regards. And yet there's this propensity to want to get away from it, even though it's natural. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's where I I can't for the life of me understand when and why periods, which is literally since we women have had since the dawn of time, <laughs> yeah. we are all, all of the human beings on the planet are here because someone had a period. Right. Um, it's the most natural thing. You've literally come out of the womb. You know, every single one of us that are listening or talking right now came out of a womb where there was periods were made and bred, right? Um, so when that switch happened, um, it makes me, It honestly, it makes my heart sad um, that it went so far in the other way where now, again, like, yeah, bleeding out of your vagina is not the sexiest thing on the planet right? But it's not the grossest thing on the planet either. It's the most, it's the most normal thing on the planet, right? So where this idea of ew, yucky came in, um, I don't know why or when. Um, and it's honestly, it's, it's, it's a bummer. You know, it's, it is, it's a bummer. I'm sure it has something to do with, for some reason in my mind, and I could be wrong about this. So anybody who's into the church or whatever, feel free to tell me I'm wrong. But part of me thinks that there was somewhere along the way that they, oh, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Carrie. Um, have you ever seen that movie? Mm. Uh, Stephen oh, King? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Where she has her period and then the mom like basically tells her that she's sinning. She's a sinner. Yeah. Like she's a terrible person because she had this natural thing occur. 
Now, of course, that's a book, that's a movie. But for mm-hmm. some reason, I feel like that there has this propensity to be linked towards the church where once this occurs, it means now that she has become the age of a sinner. She is now in the eyes going to, you know, have sex. She's, you know, very And can sexu- get pregnant. Can get pregnant. Right, right. And mm-hmm. so, and it's interesting because I'm sure there's a lot of fear that kind of comes with that, right? Like even from that mom's perspective in that in that movie, you know, she doesn't want at the core level, she doesn't want her daughter to go to hell. Ironically, she goes there by the end of the movie, but <laughs> um, <laughs> the point... <laughs> The point being, right, is like, you know, no parent wants their kid to end up going to hell, yet she gets this whole download, this whole programming that she is, and it's already going to happen because of this natural occurrence. And it's Mm -hmm. very fascinating for our minds to then create this connection between something that's natural and something that's going to be your eternal damnation in the afterlife, which obviously I think we're getting to a point where we all know that that's not the case and it's hell really is just a figment of our imaginations. But mm-hmm. the point being, I feel like there has to be some sort of connection there with the, the stigma, the, the, the shame, the guilt, the, right. okay, now you're of this age, you need to cover yourself. You need to not do this. Right. I mean, look at Catholic schools. I mean, Catholic schools are where the biggest part in my, you know, but the biggest like sluts and whores kind of come out of is because they're mm-hmm. so taught that you're going to hell if you do this, but their internal biology is telling them like, that's not really the case. And so then right. they act out and go too far in the opposite direction. And I, I guess that's probably, I mean, I'm, I'm de, I'm de, uh, what's it called? Deconstructing the Bible a lot lately. And so in and, and the church as a whole, not just like the Bible, but the way that it's been interpreted. And I'm seeing a lot of yeah. trauma has been pro- propagated from it. So, you know, I'm sure this is just a small sliver of the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where my mind yeah. goes. Yeah, absolutely. And like with, um, you know, I, I have this, I coined this term. It's like, I call it the champagne bottle effect, you know, like with the Catholic school girls, right? I mean, man, I've had a lot of women clients in my day of, you know, not only just teaching yoga, but also with one-on-one and group coaching. Ooh, yeah. Uh, the women that were pushed down, right? Not, not as, yes, somewhat, you could, that actually could be a good term for it, you know, pushed down or, um, controlled. Wasn't, controlled, wasn't allowed to completely, you know, be their, their truest flowy, authentic self as they grew up and as they had hit, you know, their teen years before college or what have you, if they were really, really controlled and under the thumb, um, this champagne bottle effect, like if you shake a bottle of champagne, the pop will blow. Conscious monkeys. If you're looking to start your own podcast, I have the two tools that you need to use to get that show on the road. And the names are Buzzsprout and Riverside. I'm combining these into one ad because, you know, I honestly had nothing but the best for them. But if you're going to be using one of them, you might be using the other one. So what Buzzsprout is, is essentially the platform that I use to put my podcast out there. It's the reason you can hear this. That's the reason that I appear on all these different directories. The thing you might also need is that if you're interviewing people, you're going to need Riverside as well. And quite frankly, I'm using it right now to even just record these podcasts because they will even dilate in dilate in i don't think that's the right phrase for it they will harmonize your voice so that it sounds equivalent so if i start talking quiet at one point they have a built-in editor that will actually make your voice sound crisp 
I highly suggest Buzzsprout and Riverside. Go check out the links below in the description. And like always, these are affiliate links, so I do get a minor kickback if you do sign up with them. However, like always, they are incredible. The support has been on point and they always get back to me, so I highly recommend them if you have any questions that are there to help. So with that being said, go check it out in the link below and let's get back to the interview. Period. You know, right. it, you don't know when, but it will. So I call it the champagne bottle effect. If you've been, if they've been like so repressed, 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 shaking that champagne bottle. And then finally, when something like a little click or they hit it or something, right? Something snaps inside of the mind or they've just had enough. And then boom, bubbles be flying. And it's, it's chaos, right? You know, it's, it turns from like, so such controlling into absolute chaos. And that pendulum swings so far in the opposite direction, which can Mm. cause harm, right? Which can cause harm and suffering and unsafety, you know, which is obviously where we want to lean away from. So I'm like a really big proponent of, you know, it's at least when I'm a mother, you know, of letting my children or child explore life get dirty, you know, scrape your knee, like have hard talks with people. Like I'm going to be there nurturing you and making sure that you are safe as fuck. Um, but I want you to be scared. You know, like I want those children to be scared, to be, you know, to find that edge in yoga. It's called stira and sukham, where it's the balance between effort and ease, right. You know, finding that balance. Um, but really teaching my children that hard shit is okay. You know, you're going to hear no's and you have full availability to say as many no's as you'd like as well, right? Life is not just rainbows and butterflies and teaching them that at a young age, obviously not throwing them to the fucking wolves, but yo, those are the wolves. You want to check them out? I'll hold your hand, you know? Right. Um, so I feel like in doing that and making those actions, you know, as we get older and as we, you know, raise children, if that is your, you know, your, your goal, even niece and nephews or even people around you, you know, how can you, as your own human, incorporate more learning so that champagne bottle effect doesn't happen and the chaos doesn't grow as big, we can come back to balance. You can come back to Sita and Sukham and find that lovely balance between the effort and ease for the mind, body, and the spirit. And in teaching from that place as well. So there isn't any mishaps that happen. There will be, of course, but the level of the mishaps can be negated a little more. Yeah. And there's definitely something powerful there to the effect of you know, because if you look at it through like mythology or even just from like a tendency perspective, you know, there's the, I believe the overbearing mother is kind of like a, a polarization where it's like she wants to create this perfect world so that her kid has no issues and that everything gets catered to their will. And, you know, you need that balance of masculine energy. That's like exactly what you're saying. Like, go face the fear. It's because yeah. you you want to be able to develop a child who is strong. If you make yeah. the world around him soft, he's going to become soft. If you mm-hmm. realize that there is hardship, there is shit out there that will bite you, that will sting you, that will betray you. That's what makes you tough. That's what makes you hard. That's what creates right. this healthy balance almost within you. You know, it's yeah. that chaos of adventure, but with that balance of trying to find that safety and that line you can push up against such that it's not going to a terrible place. Yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely. That's kind of, that's like, honestly, my goal, not only for just teaching yoga, but like, you know, children and, but leadership, you know, is I'm not going to feed you bullshit at all. You know, I will always speak the truth. I will always speak my authenticity of, uh, at least in my belief system of where I'm at in that present moment, those words that need to come out of my mouth. That is a promise to everyone that I'm around, always in my truth. Um, and not fluffing things up for them to make, to appease them, to make them feel better. Yes, I'm a very compassionate being, but I'm not going to buckle my knees and lie um, or even give a little white lie or some fluff just to appease that person. Um, if they're asking me a big question or if we need to have a big conversation or a hard one, you know, um, it's just the truth right? You know, speak the truth in a compassionate way, of course. Um, but I always, I, I always kind of like phrase it as like coming from love, right? Hard, hard conversations, but coming from love, right? Where it's not the you, 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 it's I feel X, Y, and Z. You know the what I phrase, mean? Yeah. The phrase that is ringing in my mind and that it's helped me a lot is gentle assertion. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Being gentle with the assertion that you need to put out there. And yeah, the other thing that was coming to me because I've had this conversation so many times and, you know, truth is a big life lesson that I need to, or I am, you know, working through. It's the idea of the little white lie where we call it a little white lie, but in the grand scheme of the universe, the infinite one frequency energy, there is no such thing as little or big. It's right. a little bit more binary where it's like, you're either lying or you're not. It's either this is true for you or it's not. And the more that you project those little white lies, <clears throat> it's almost the further that you get or the more distortion that you create between your authentic self and you. And it's interesting too. Well, I'm not sure if I wanted to go that direction. I'm trying to think. There's two directions I kind of want to go with this. I also need to add. Please do. Yeah. So um, my partner that I'm uncoupling with right now, he taught me this term. It was from his father. Um, it's called the Sufi gates, the three Sufi gates. Have you ever heard of them? No, I have not. Enlighten mm, me. It's beautiful. So um, I love this so much. And it's basically before you speak anything, right? Go through the three Sufi gates. Is it kind? Is it necessary? And is it true? Mm. And just re regardless of what whoever you're talking to, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Right. Because I'm sure you've been in those those situations where you're talking with I sometimes call people like energy vampires where you're just talking to them. You're like, oh, my God, that's a real thing, insane. by the way. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's a real thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's like I, I wish. Everyone knew what the Sufi gates are to have that in the, the back of your mind, in your subconscious and ask yourself first, before you start conversing, before you tell a story or whatever, is it kind, is it necessary? And is it true? Three super mm. gates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it should definitely check off all of those. Yeah. Check off all those boxes because you get into this weird conundrum <laughs> and maybe this is because we live in this world of social media where you hear just one thing or you hear like a little snippet of someone and then you try to project your entire reality around it because it feels right. And it feels like a truth around it which is, you know, the idea of speak your truth. And then yeah. people use that as a means for validating not being kind, right? Like maybe it's necessary, maybe it's true, but if you're not saying it in a kind manner, it's like, fuck off, dude. I'm not listening to you. Like you're just being exactly. an asshole. Yeah. Right. And so that's right. really a beautiful three-step, three-application process to it, right? 
You want to be mm-hmm. truthful. It needs to be relevant, necessary to the conversation. Right. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time or you just want to say something that you know, which then comes from ego, which is then out of alignment in a different route. And then if mm-hmm. it's not kind, it's like people are just going to tell you to fuck off. Like they don't care exactly. if it's true and necessary. It doesn't matter. They're not going to listen to you. You're not going to get your message across. It's not going to become a bigger picture. Totally. Exactly. Oh, no one so, likes talking to an unkind person, right? Oh, no. No. Yeah, three, <laughs> yeah. Three years ago, that was me. Like, <laughs> but it's so I, weird to think about. Yeah, right. Was, and that mm-hmm. was funny on our last night when I was like, "Oh yeah, like you know, two years ago, I would have been like a PB bro." And I, I forget who it was. Oh, I know who it was. But I hear across the room like, "What? Like, I, like yeah. that doesn't make sense." <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had me laughing on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. James can attest to that. That'll be a. That's a whole different. That's for a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, oh, and so here's an interesting thing that we can warp into truth and like bring this back to uh, that whole bed situation of the nudity where, mm. you know, there was, whenever you asked me, like, is it okay if I come over into your bed? There was this little like push, I think, or a little like nudge of uncomfortability around it, but I wanted to push through that uncomfortability. So I said, yes. And I don't know if you felt this or not, but there was like this level of like, I'm not sure, but I want to say yes to kind of push through and to kind of push past my um, comfortability almost because I, I, I knew, because again, because of that whole week, I knew that there was something here that I wanted to explore and push past and I was good. Like, you know, I, that's probably the first time a girl was naked in my bed and I wasn't hard. So yeah. <laughs> that's a crazy thing. To, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's a crazy thing to think about in the first place. Yeah. And so, and so like, it's interesting too, because this comes back to that yes or no dynamic that we were talking about where I was saying, yeah, like it probably was a little uncomfortable at the beginning of it, but I wanted to say yes so that I could push the, push the boundary of my understanding with this conversation of desexualizing nudity. Well, and I feel like I, I hope, I wonder if you remember this, but like, as soon as I popped into your bed, cause just to kind of give you know, the listeners, like an idea, you were laying down and then like on the left side of the bed. And then I came onto the right side of the bed and sat down cross-legged. So I was sitting upright and then I just put the blanks over my shoulder because it was cold. Um, and you know, you're laying there looking at me in the eyes, you know, and like you had, you had convert, you would converse with me about that. Like, you know, that's, we, I want to talk about this, you know, like that's when we started talking about like, what about desexualizing nudity? Because you would you would converse with me about like, yeah, this was a yes for me, but I felt like a little uncomfortable because we wrapped out about that, you know? Because you and I are very comfortable talking with each other. We like talking about deep stuff like this and we can, you know, this is what we do, right? So yeah. um, so you you I gave you the safety of knowing that you can talk to me about that, of how you're feeling in that moment, you know, over the last week that we had spent with each other. And you know that I'm going to be completely fucking honest with you, you know, and hold that space for you. Right. You know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I think, you know, that I can hold space for you. Right. And right. vice versa, you can hold space for me. Um, so, so beauty about, we even talked about that at the bar too. Yeah. Yeah. With the whole you know? like, all right, I'm going to be the masculine energy in this situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was after a few tequilas. Remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a few tequilas. You didn't. But we were talking about deep stuff like, yeah, maybe, maybe not right now. Maybe not right now. These tequilas in my blood. Um, But anyways, you know, you had conversed with me and told me this was a yes, but I'm also feeling uncomfortable. Let's talk about this. 
you know, and then that's where we talk, you know, we started like wrapping out about, you know, the desexualizing nudity. What does that mean? Let's talk about this on the podcast so on and so forth. Um, but you did your Sufi gates, you know, in that moment when I'm sitting there looking at me in the eyes, you went through your three Sufi gates and spoke your truth. Right. So yes, you were feeling it, but you, you did actualize that through, through languaging as well. Because that's another interesting thing as well is, you know, pushing past what you're comfortable with, right? It's mm -hmm. because that's interesting, right? Because you, you said, are you comfortable with me? Like coming over naked into your bed. And in my mind, it was, there was a slight hesitation, but in my quest for pursuing deeper truth, it's like, I knew there was something there I needed to experience. Yeah. So, so maybe I'm kind of overanalyzing truth in this regard, but I feel like there's something interesting there to touch on. Mm-hmm. What, Lynn, what, what degree? What do you mean? Conscious monkeys. I've got something out there for all my coaches. Anybody who has digital courses, anybody who's creating content, whether it's audio or video, you got to check out Superpass. Superpass is the super dope platform that I've been using now. And they're actually what has enabled my app to work. It's what's enabled me to start generating income and to help people more effectively. If you are a content creator, you create audio, video, whatever it may be, Superpass might be the choice for you because they'll provide you with your own app and they have a great online service to also help you out. So I'm not going to put in too much because everything they do is way too much to pack into this one ad. I will say go click the link below because that is where you'll be able to find all the information. This is an affiliate link and I wouldn't be promoting them if it didn't help me. Click the link below and go check out Superpass. With that being said, Conscious Monkeys, let's get back to the last segment of the interview. How, let me try to think of another example that would be useful to explain this. Mm -hmm. Maybe like the first time, I know you've gone skydiving. Like I haven't, but it's like there's that fear of actually doing it. It's like, are you comfortable doing it? It's like, no, I'm not comfortable, but I'm okay with doing it. It's like, yeah. you know, so you asking me, are you comfortable? The honest answer was no, but I do want to experience it and see what is here that I'm missing out in on life. Yeah. So instead yeah. of saying no, it was technically a yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Skydiving is actually a really good example of that, right? Because yeah, I mean, <laughs> besides someone we know, um, <laughs> who just jumps out of planes don't get all, all the time. Don't get all hot, hot and bothered. <laughs> we still got a podcast to record. That's why I hesitated bringing, I hesitated bringing that up because I was like, I don't want to get her going. <laughs> I'm getting all flushed. Yeah. I really am. It's funny. Um you know, but that's like, that's his jam, right? You know, that's like, he is so comfortable doing that. And like, you know, even the three times that I've gone, I've always liked heights, you know, like, so hmm. I was comfortable, quote, putting my quotes up right now, but um, no, it's not a natural thing for a human being. Like, let's do, let's jump out of a plane today. That feels comfortable for me. You know, like it's, that's not a, a normal human reaction of jumping out of a plane or really high thing um, that stems from comfort. You know, obviously um, our boy is highly comfortable in that because he loves adrenaline so much, right? You know, that is, he's the adrenaline junkie. That's his jam. Um, so he's found his comfort inside of all of his, those adrenaline pieces that he's picked up throughout his life. So that, that is his comfort zone that he's created for him where 
myself, I've always been comfortable with heights. Um, so the three times that I have gone skydiving, it, it was fucking awesome. You know, it was like, I was actually way more comfortable than I thought I would be up there, but it's not a normal human reaction to look over a cliff or look out of a plane and be like, I want to fall, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like it's, again, it's just like that your upbringing, you know, what, what you are most comfortable in, in the time and space that you are in your life. Right. You know, I would feel uncomfortable starting a podcast right now. Mm. Right. Cause that's so far out of my wheelhouse, um, that I haven't been working on. Right. You know, and it's you, obviously you're extremely comfortable in podcasting, right. You're fucking amazing at it. It's one of your gifts. So it's, where our boy over here probably won't start a podcast, but he can jump out of planes. You, you know, yes, you can jump out of a plane, but it stems from uncomfortability. So vice versa, right? You know, and that's, that goes with everyone and everything, um, whatever their comfort level is. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And with and the nudity, I want to, I want to ask you too, like, you know, your, with your perspective of you, of, you know, you know, me in the bed, nudity. What is that root for you that gives you the uncomfortableness inside of nudity? The first word that comes to mind is exposure. Mm. So the next thing that's coming to mind is purity. So in this, I don't know where this comes from. This might be a societal thing. So this is interesting. And like, I know this has been a thing for a long time where, and I think this is probably something that again, <laughs> comes from the church. Cause I did have like a Presbyterian upbringing, but it wasn't mm-hmm. Presbyterians aren't like very like Catholics. So like, it's not like as strict. It's a lot looser. Um, but the idea of purity, like, like this biological this biological thought process that, you know, men have produce a million seeds in like an hour or something yeah. versus a woman produces one quote unquote seed an egg every month. And so yeah. women need to be a, a lot more <laughs> 12 a year. Oh, and so women need to be a lot more protective, a lot more, um, you know, a lot more protective of the, of where they're sharing their body with. Right. And so I think that it probably comes back strongly to that, where it's this belief that if, you know, and I don't, I don't know how much validity there is to it, but for some reason I have this belief where if, you know, I don't want to be with someone who's had a girl who's had like a hundred partners yet I feel like, and I'm very much open to updating this. I'm just trying to say where this comes from. But like if a guy has a hundred partners, that tends to be a little bit more attractive for a girl because it says he's more experienced, he understands what he's doing. Yet I also am now starting to see that like as as a guy, it's like if I hear that a guy's been with like five hundred girls, a part of me thinks, okay, he's <clears throat> there's something internally going on that he needs to figure out within himself. Like that mm-hmm. he's not he's either escaping something, he's looking, he's dealing with trauma, and so. I think a large part of that comes back to purity and, and maybe control. Cause I told you about this, where the last girl that I was with, where I, you know, it was an interesting, like control and, um, like almost like saying, Hey, you're mine. And that was attractive to her. It's like this idea yeah. of me saying, 
like, you know, you're mine and I found that attractive. She found it attractive. And so there's this idea of if she's going around and being nude with everybody, then I take it personally because I believe that there's, I, Oh, this is interesting. There's a sense Mm. of feeling accomplished as a guy. If here's the analogy, a key, a key that can open every door is useful, but a door that gets opened by every key is worthless. Mm, I like that. Yes. That, that is where it comes from for me, where if, I'm with a girl and everyone in the entire world has seen her naked, then it erodes at my ego, which is where this comes from of thinking that like, Oh, well, like maybe she's not as special as I thought she was, or maybe, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was because I was able to attract this unique rose that nobody has seen naked or nobody has penetrated. You know what I mean? And Mm. so there's this, mysticism around a woman who is, you know, a virgin, for instance, if, you know, I meet a 26, whatever, 24 year old virgin, and she wants to hook up with me and be her first, that elevates my ego to this new place of self-worth, self-validation. And I attach that to that person. And then if for some reason she goes and, you know, it's like that versus the extreme of me hooking up with a girl, her saying she's been with 500 guys, now I feel like I'm it's it's not as validating as a hookup if she's been with five hundred other dudes because now right. I'm only one five hundredth of who she's been with. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's really beautifully said and makes so much sense. And it's fascinating too, because I of course, you know, your programs always combine with your own self-story. And I was thinking, you know, well, we haven't touched on this yet, but like, you know, my upbringing of, I was a stripper when I was 18, 19 years old, half of Reno has seen my tits, right? (laughs) You know, and I remember that feeling of being there, going through that, you know, that season of my life was hard as fuck, but feeling that unworthiness of the men that I would get with because it wasn't as special to see me naked because they could see me in the club naked giving some rando a lap dance or on stage where dudes and women are flipping me fucking ones and fives and twenties and shit. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving to San Diego and completely changing my life because I kept stripperhood a secret. You know, I was, Mm. because I was in, I was in the cloak of shame. Right. You know, that's like, I was wearing it. You know, I was totally wearing that cloak of shame. It was a total thing. And it wasn't for a couple of years until I like really opened up my story and like found my own self-worth again um, for myself, from myself, um, which is doing the work, right? You know, personal development shit, where it was like, I have always been worthy. I've always been worthy of unconditional love. You know, we were saying earlier from myself, for myself and outwardly as well. Right. Um, So really unpacking that unworthiness of those were my choices when I was 18 and 19 years old. And I did not feel worthy during that time. And as I grew up and became more mature in my adult life and going through the work um, and really believing that I am worthy of love, period. End of fucking story. You know, that those choices don't define my worthiness of loving and being loved. Right. 
um, from men and women and from myself. So the purity facet of this is it's beautiful. It makes so much sense of, you know, I really love that analogy with the key in the door. Yeah. Absolutely. Because again, it's like, you, do you really want to be just another notch on the belt? Like, not really, right? That doesn't feel special or intimate or vulnerable. Um, and that's what intimacy is. That's what nakedness is. It's it's because we don't live in a clothing optional world. We do live in a world where we wear sheaths. Um, so it's like making that person feel and be special um, for your own mind and your own heart that's that purity piece, right? And maybe it doesn't matter what their past is like. Um, maybe what matters is there in the present and what they what they believe of going forward, right? But it's always up to the, uh, the eye of the beholder. And I I think that's a very spot on point that you got to there, where because I because I, I consciously I truly believe that, right? Like you know, again, like we've talked about this, like this idea of second chances, even. I truly believe yeah. moment by moment, we are all changing always. And sorry, I just blanked out. I blanked out because I wanted mm -hmm. to appreciate you and say that I'm actually, that was actually really healing for me to be able to tell you uh, that piece or element of like the purity, because mm -hmm. I've kind of think I've always had this fear of opening that up to somebody who has been a stripper, who has lost her virginity at 13. Like in my mind, like, so I, First of all, I just want to commend you for <laughs> providing a safe like environment for helping me with that. Mm -hmm, um, of course. So getting back to the, I forget where I was. What Do you remember what the train of thought was there? You were at purity. So you were thinking about, um, you know, your process through it and like, you know, what you believe, like, it, you know, your purity is and why you unpacked it and it had gotten to that, to that root. Um, hmm. Oh, tying this back in, I guess, to the nudity concept. Oh, the uh, oh, mm. changing. We're ever changing creatures, right? Changing. Thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We're ever changing. Like, like first of all, just from that healing concept right there. Like, I now know that I am a new person than I was five minutes ago. Just from that, mm -hmm. your ability to receive that and be like, that's really beautiful. <laughs> and like to me, it, it might sound weird, but that's crazy for me to think that I could. Because it's interesting because that would have totally came from a place of judgment back, you know, old Clayton. But now it's coming from a place of trying to understand. And you're sitting there like, wow, that's like a really beautiful sentiment. And I'm like, shit, mm -hmm. like that's kind of that's kind of dope to hear. And so now I am changed from that. And so that ever going process, right, of changing of, you know, like for you instance, like, like you're no longer a stripper, like that's no longer who you are. Like you're now mm -hmm. a no more in evolved person. You're not I get. I guess you're still running around naked, but <laughs> that's a, that that's I am. A, well, but so, but so the point without I guess I'm heels. getting at, yeah, without heels, <laughs> just leaving the heels at home. Exactly. Um, and so where it gets interesting for me is like I totally consciously agree. Like, if the person, if the divine person I'm supposed to be with, like my next relationship, for instance is somebody who lost their virginity at 13, was a stripper between the ages of 18 and 23, whatever. Like even if it was until yesterday, right? Like let's say arguably mm -hmm. I meet someone and they're like, oh yeah, I just quit being a stripper. But yet that person is the most aligned person for my spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't matter, right? right? And it's almost where this comes back into our desexualizing nudity. It shouldn't matter if everybody's seen her tits because of the energetic bond that we share between each other. 
And I think that that is still very difficult for my male monkey brain to comprehend. I think there is Mm. still a subconscious programming that no, like there's a, and it might be coming from the ego. It it feels like it's coming from the ego is where it's like, Mm -hmm. no, I want to be with someone who has had, who has been with less than five, five dudes and they're of this age and like, you know, you know, X, Y, Z, all of these things in this physical material world that at the end of the day, and I truly know this because I've experienced it myself at the end of the day, they could possess none of them, but the, our connection, the sex we have, everything could be so out of this world that none of that would matter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had learned this lesson, um, a couple years ago about relating and this is kind of tie into kind of like what you're saying. And I think everyone I've told this to and talked to about fucking light bulb moment. And it's like any relationship needs four quadrants, right? Any solid, good relationship. You know, the first quadrant is charisma. Are you attracted to that person? Um, can you hang out with each other's friends? Like, do you have butterflies in your belly? You know, is sex great? You know, it's that, that, yumminess that lives inside of your body where you want to be around them, right? You know, so there's charisma, there's harmony. So you live in a household together. Um, If your biggest fucking pet peeve is dirty socks on the floor and he or she just leaves dirty socks on the floor, maybe not that might not be that harmonious of a, of a household, right? Do you like to cook? Do you like to clean? Again, just that the harmony of like how you guys talk with each other. That kind of also relates to how you, you know, show up in friends groups and all of that. Charisma is the attraction. Harmony is living and being with each other. Do you guys do road trips? Do you like, you know, all of that kind of stuff, being with each other in a harmonious way. The third is dimension. Dimension is outer body. You know, can you talk about big life shit. You know, do you like talking about the Mm. universe? Do you, are you a Christian? Um, are your morals aligned? You know, that dimensionality that lives outside of the body. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in spirit? You know, can you have those conversations and, you know, political, you know, politics Mm. are under the, the umbrella of dimension, right? You know, if we have a stark Republican and a stark Democrat, you know, in a relationship that might hit the head. Who knows? I don't know. Unless they have like really solid dimension in that. And the fourth one is, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the fourth one is the only uncontrollable it's timing, right? Mm. So charisma is the attraction. Harmony is being and moving with each other. Dimension is conversing outside of just our human self. Um, believing in bigger things than just this, right? I mean, for my dimension, I need a, I need my partner to be able to talk with me about yoga and spirituality and philosophy and shit. You know, I love that art. Um, and then timing. Timing, no human being can help on the planet, right? It's just, it's the way the cookie crumbles and the way that the universe places that person into your life at that certain time. When you have all of those four boxes filled, you're doing great. That's going to be a damn like good relationship. Mm-hmm. I really like it. It's yeah. funny too, you say the timing. Um, one of my, and this helped me since college, uh, it was a big Sean quote. And his thing was, is what's the perfect girl if it's not the perfect time? Ah, Perfect. And that's, that stuck with me. <laughs> that stuck with me for so long, especially, you know, and I guess I forgot about it recently, but that was like, that was probably the big piece with my most <laughs> recent, that's all good. That was probably the big piece with my most, re- the most recent girl is like, I was leaving San Diego, she was doing her own thing. And so it like, you know, it's, it's so fascinating how, and it's interesting you lay that out into those four quadrants because 
after each quadrant, I was thinking to myself, like, what's going to be in the next one? <laughs> like, I thought you just embodied everything in that yep. first one. And then it's like the second one. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need that too. Oh, yeah. And then oh, the yeah. third one, yep. it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, forgot about that too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And so it is definitely Absolutely. a good, it's definitely a good quadrant metric to break down and to identify. Yeah. And it certainly takes a process. Well, so then here's, well, is that it? I guess I'm thinking about it. Where in your mind lays like the number of boxes that you need to check? And I guess this changes person to person, but my opinion is, is like, you know, how, how analytical does the female brain get about those boxes with regards to hooking up with another person? Right. Because Mm -hmm. you were saying like with your most recent or like now X that it pretty much happened. It sounds like within the first day or two of you meeting each other, which again, I guess is totally cool, but do you feel like maybe, and here's the better question, that the mixing the energy of sex can cloud the judgment of those other boxes? Yep. Um, well, yeah, I mean, just like on a scientific level, right? The oxytocin is moving through your brain, the dopamine, the serotonin, all those feel-good hormones are swirling in your body, right? And yeah, those <laughs> those emotions and those chemicals can get in the way of proactive thinking sometimes, right? Um, but I actually don't do boxes. I do what's called a give and gets list. Um, and I've done this with pretty much every single one of my clients um, where I got this from this woman. Her name's Allison Armstrong. She's an amazing, amazing like coach on this planet. She's fabulous. It's all about uh, relationships. That's her, that's her niche. But what do you want to give in a relationship? And what do you want to get? in a relationship, right? Mm. You know, I'm at the place now, you know, in my thirties as a business owner, um, you know, I'm the sole proprietor of my business. Right. And inside of my previous relationship, I held a lot of uh, masculinity. I do that naturally, but the polarity in the household was you and I talked about this. I was masculine. He was feminine. And as the years went through, it was like, it, you know, that, that flip-flopped, you know, a couple times. He's, he's a very masculine man, um, but is very in touch with his femininity too. He leans more on the feminine side. Um, and I lean more on the masculine side. So again, that polarity, boom, clip line and sinker, where it's like now, you know, now in my singlehood where I want to be single, which is like, feels fantastic. You know, I've, I've had a lot of long-term relationships. So being single right now is like, ugh, I want it. Um, but you know, whether or not my partner and I get back together or I find something new, who knows where the universe is going to take me. My given gets list has changed five, since five years ago, right? So before, well, it's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of the same, to be honest. I've changed so much where my wants and desires are kind of like at a next level because I'm playing big boy shit. You know, I have 47 employees. I have a lot of people to take care of. Um, I can't just fuck around anymore, you know? So you know, in my given gets list, I don't want to be the breadwinner of my household. I don't. Right. You know, and when I do have children, I want to be able to work, but on my own terms. Right. So I'm curating that for myself now, um, it, within my own masculinity, with my own power. Right. Because I also really love being independent, but you know, my given gets list, what I want to give in a relationship is, is nurturing is my feminine essence is opening up and giving them, giving them safety for me to open up my body to them, for them to feel safe, to receive me, you know, and for me to receive them. Um, 
and that safety goes hand in hand on both sides of this, right? And a lot of them overlap, you know, but like, you know, what I want to get in a relationship, I want the same music taste. I want them to be fucking fun. Um, I want to go on adventures all the time, right? And I don't want to have to pay for that much shit. Um, I love being courted. I love it so much. You know, I'm tired of, of splitting the bill and like paying for my own things and not getting presents when my birthday and Christmas and stuff where it's like, I want to feel taken care of, you know, mm. where obviously I can fucking take care of myself, which I will always do. But I want that feeling of being so intrinsically taken care of um, where I just don't have to worry. Right. And that kind of stems from my childhood of the traumas that I've had with my father, not being child supported day, um, you know, where there's there, that want and desire is there from a deep rooted traumatic experience that I've had being raised as a child. Right. So there's a reason there's a method behind the madness. Right. You know, that's, that's what I want to like, or excuse me, I was going, went to gets, but, you know, giving in a relationship is like my femininity, my nurturing, um, cooking and like, you know, just dancing around, you know, and where you slap my ass and whatnot, you know, like being in that feminine, getting into the relationship is the safety, the providership, like a really strong masculine presence. Um, you know, getting in a relationship. I also want like those deep philosophical talks about spirituality and you know, the universe and how we are this little speck into the universe where no one cares about <laughs> penis sizes, right? <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> it happened Everyone to come out once. James, yeah. James is going to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like talking about shit like that, you know, I want to give and get that, right? Again, there's a lot of parallels and overlapping. So it's not necessarily boxes that are checked for me. It's what I want to give in a relationship and what I want to get out of a relationship. So there's two columns. I literally have my list right down here with my, <laughs> <laughs> that I made like five years ago. So now and it's I'm time to just kind of do a new one. And I'm sure you update it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's, what's kind of coming up for me is, and cause I'm feeling a little bit of resistance towards it is I'm sure that some people would find a lot of fear in that because you know, this, there's like this fear of, well, what if that person doesn't exist? Is that the right way to word it? Mm. Well, this, this that's coming fear. from a lack mindset, though. Exactly. Well, that's where I was, yeah, that's where I was going to get with this. Is this this fear, <laughs> the scarcity mentality of, you know, if someone just defines it as like, oh, I just want anyone to be in a relationship with, it's like, you don't really mean that. <laughs> it's like, no, no, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You, you come from that place, and I'm sure, I, I bet maybe you've probably seen this as well. Is that if you actually sat down and started to write those things. In actuality, your soul, your genetic blueprint that wants this thing probably could come up with a list of 100 to 200 things easily. But it's probably very difficult for people to actually get to that place of writing that out. And I'd be interested to hear if this synchronizes with your clients where they probably can't write more than 10 to 20 things. Correct. You know, it's funny because it's like the first, you know, five Boop, 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 boop. you know, easy peasy. And then right. like, no, but more, but more, you know, stretch yourself, really dig in, you know, dig into your heart, dig into your mind. What do you want? What do you want? You're the only person that can answer that, right? Because you're the one that's living inside of your own little meat suit and your own consciousness, right? So truly asking yourself, sitting next to your ego, right? Because the ego is want, ego wants, right? So you have to sit next to your ego, have a conversation with that and really lean in of 
what do the, what do I fucking want? You know, um, I've been playing with this a lot, you know, of like over quite a few years of not only teaching people about it, but my own relating and all of that. And like, it's, it's giving gifts that can also like, you know, in relationships of like, you know, um, intimacy, but also friendships too. Right. Um, but by in doing so, by creating this kind of roadmap for the universe to provide it, it's the space of manifestation. You know, it really is the law of attraction. It's like you give a roadmap of like, here you go. I'm clear as fucking day, you know, and slap, there's that person, right? If you're feigning and looking for them of like, oop, are they under here? Are they under here? You know, like if you're really just psychotically focused and controlled about what you're trying to, I need to get every single one of these, right? That goes against the law of attraction, right? Now you're pushing mm. too much. It's kind of like, give it to the universe, sit back and let, and receive, right? Let, let the universe do its magic, you know? And again, with that, is there, will that person match all those boxes? How many billions of fucking people are there on this planet? I'm sure Seven, there's someone. Eight, <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure there's a person that can fit those boxes, you know, or those given gets lists. And which is, which is really interesting too, because I know, I'm not going to say specifically who it was, but there was, um, you know, I, sh what did I do? It was something with like a list of what I'm, desired. I'm trying to think of how this is. Oh, somebody asked me like, what was it that I was like looking for in a girl? And I, I forget exactly what I said, but I started going down the list and I was like, you know, I was like, there's probably about 30 more things on that list. And they were like, you're not leaving like a lot of room for many people to come into your life. And I'm Good. like, I don't want many people. I just want one. I was like, yep. that's all you need is just one. It's not, you know, it's not taking this it's not taking like the sample size of, well, I need to make myself available for half the population. And it's, it's crazy too, because by distorting yourself in that way, whether it's with a, a yoga studio, whether it's with a podcast, whether it's with your relationships, if you're making yourself available or catering to everybody, you're serving nobody. Absolutely. Especially you're not serving yourself. Most importantly. Yeah, that's the biggest disservice you can do for yourself. You know, it's spread spread the butter too far, right? And that was something that's that when you can get caught up. into the codependency. Oh, for sure. Right. Because mm -hmm. you think that you you hinge your entire value on this person because there's not gonna be anyone right. else to replace them. And this right. was actually something that kind of came up in my ayahuasca ceremony was the idea of boundaries and how we're led to believe that boundaries are, you know, selfish. But in reality, you're actually stating who you are to the world. Like that's your mm. way to proclaim who you are to the world. And it was yeah. really fascinating to me because um, I did it with a male and a female who were married. And I was kind of watching this inner dynamic play out between them. And what I realized after the ceremony was like, you know, the last three girls who I would consider probably the most connected, connected, like connected relationships that I've had, you know, they've all made a comment that I'm very needy that like, I'm a, what was the phrase that they would use particular? Ah, what was the phrase? Mm. Something along the lines of like, I'm very um, high maintenance, high maintenance. That was high the maintenance. Ah, high maintenance. <laughs> see? Okay. So this is interesting oh. because whenever they would say it, I would see it as this reflection of like, what's wrong with me? Like, what, what do they mean? I'm high maintenance. Like, 
Like, I don't want to be a burden on somebody else. However, uh-huh. kind of after articulating this to the, and I think this is probably in, in that episode, <clears throat> in articulating this, I realized that that's actually like a good thing. And I didn't realize this till the very third one, the most recent girl. I was like, oh yeah, and you probably like it. And she was like, oh yeah, like the, the little flirtatious, like, yeah, I actually do. Um, yeah. And, and it was so fascinating to me because- I apologize about those dog noises. There's, there's a whole pack of them. There's a whole pack of them in this area and they're like just a Cuties. whole squad. Yeah, I love it's it. Dog heaven here. I think I should be oh. able to equalize those out. So if anyone's listening to this and I'm like, I don't hear dog noises. <laughs> <laughs> we'll We're not going insane, get... I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll try to push through it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but she had that comment of like, oh, like, yeah, I actually do like it. And I couldn't like fully embody why that was. And even whenever mm. I said it here, you kind of, you didn't really get flustered a little bit, but you're like, oh, like, like, oh, cool. Like you're high maintenance. Like, like I could see a reaction in you where you were like, yes. Yeah. You know what and you want. Exactly. And so that was yeah. what really was interesting here whenever I said that to them, because I had this realization, it's like, you know what you want. And to be that unique individual person of knowing exactly what I want, the way I want it, when I want it, where I want it. It's like, that's embodying that masculine energy. That's that force that it becomes across as attractive. And I think it comes back to my mom and I know my mom listens to this. So mom, I love you. I know that it's all (laughs) your good intentions. Hi mom. Is (laughs) uh, (laughs) that she was like, Oh, like I brought this up to her and she was like, Oh yeah, of course you're high maintenance. But the way that I felt it from her was more of like, a, and again, I, I don't think this was her intention whatsoever, but the way that I received it was more like, you know, you're being a burden onto other people. But mm-hmm. in reality, mm-hmm. you're stating, you're, it is like boundaries are like the most efficient way to state who you are to the outside world. It's like Absolutely. the most, it's the most, it's crazy too, because I feel like so many people have an issue with stating boundaries, which is ironic because it's like, if you want to state who you are to the world and what you offer and what you want, it's like, that is the way to, that is the only way to do it. It is the most effective way to say who I am, what I want and what I want to put out into this world. Right. Right. You know, that's with, with our society, especially like, you know, being American, right. It kind of like stems into the American dream where you're another sheep or like a, a what is that like a wheel, a cog in the wheel right you know right. that's like the analogy for it you go to school go to college get married white picket fence have babies work until you're 60 retire go vacation and die like that's the norm quote unquote you know of this country that we live in you and i you know and in our community we don't necessarily think like that right so yeah boundaries aren't taught to children and in schools and upbringing, right? That's also why I want to be a mother is to teach children, you know, what the fuck boundaries are since day one, you know, and to live a life. It sounds, it's funny. It's kind of, I don't want this to sound negative, but like live a boundaried life, you know, <laughs> of self-exploration and love, you know, but honoring your boundaries because that's when you truly know who you are, you know, what your desires are. And I feel like that high maintenance, it's, it's funny. I like, I, I wouldn't consider you high maintenance at all. I consider you a self-actualized man that is confident and knows what he wants and his desires and know what you can bring to the table as well. You know, like that's, that's like high maintenance is an interesting term for that where it's like, sounds a little kitschy. Um, 
I well, don't believe also, that you are high maintenance. It's also that we haven't been like in a intimate relationship where it's like, Hey, yeah. can you get me this? Can you do this for me? You know, it's a little, yeah. I feel like the, the boundaries change, like not the boundaries, but the way that you show up in a relationship changes once you're obviously intimate. It changes like the dynamics a little bit. Totally. Like there's things that I'm not going to ask you to do if like, you know what I mean? Like there's a little bit of a yeah. dynamic switch. And on top of that, I think high maintenance is also a little bit more of a feminine word that's used to be a little bit yeah. more playful. And so it's to yeah. kind of like poke the bear a little bit as well. Totally. Yeah. Totally. You know, I've been, I saw this meme and I loved it so much because I get told this all the time. Like, God, you're a lot. You know, mm. like I'm a lot. And I remember my girlfriends and I've rapped out about this so much because, um, of course, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. Um, my girlfriends are fucking amazing. They're epic human beings on this planet. Um, and we are. We are a lot. We're a lot of energy. We're a lot of fun. We're a lot of a lotness, you know. And this meme had said, like, you know, I'm so tired of people saying, you know, you're a lot. When did you start expecting so little? You know, and I just like, I'm like, oh, fucking, oh. Job. that's amazing. You know, because it's like, yeah, I'm, I refuse to play small. I refuse. Why would I, you know, if you, if you can't handle my allotness, like smell you later, alligator, you know, then, then just expect less. <laughs> and, you know? I mean, at the, <laughs> and at the end of the day, you are a lot, you're an infinite being hurling throughout the universe, the infinite universe. And you've just incarnated on this little rock planet trying to be a human and just have a human experience. So <laughs> totally. yeah, everybody's a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. Everybody's a lot, a lot and everyone is tiny at the same time, right? We're mm. a lot and and nothing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's mm -hmm. yeah, we could get interesting there with that conversation. <laughs> but that's a that's the point too, right? Is is you're a lot and the energy that I feel into that, and it, it's the same exact thing, I think, with this high maintenance thing. It's like you're not average. You're not the normal person that mm -hmm. you run into on the side of the street. You're not, right. you're not going along with the status quo to go along with the status quo. You're a lot because right. there's a lot about you to figure out. And every time I talk to you, there's a new thing that I'm discovering. I, and I think mm -hmm. calling someone a lot, it's interesting. I wonder if that's like, like the more masculine projection of high maintenance onto a man, like to project you're a lot to a girl might be the equivalent to high maintenance on a guy. I completely agree with that. You know, I love how the the women said to you, you know, a, a female saying to a male, you're high maintenance and like, I'm too much or I'm a lot. I've heard that mainly from men projected to me as a woman, mm. you know, which and is- high maintenance, here we go to even expand further. High maintenance feels like a feminine term, a feminine word. Straight up. So to project yes. that onto a masculine, it, it kind of, again, it's I, I see it as playful in that regards. And then- Agreed. This goes back to almost our purity and innocence to be a female. It's like, you're a lot. Like, like you need to be small. You need to be condensed. You're a female. You yeah. need to be, you know, a little bit more tiny. tiny in a box. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Fuck. Get, in, get into your box, little one. You know, like, I'm going to fucking <laughs> rip this box through with my teeth right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a fascinating that's such a fascinating way. And it's reminding me, and this is something I want to touch on, um, is our conversation about the wounded and what we believe is now the controlled feminine. Because, yeah. because I always hated how it's like toxic masculine <laughs> and toxic feminine. Mm -hmm. And in reality, that's not 
that's not accurate enough. Like it's, and I get that there's a limitation with language, but, but there is like a health and it, it almost to me makes me feel like the way that it's used is too overbearing. It's too much. It's, it's, and, and because it embodies too much of it because there is a healthy masculine and feminine energy within all of us yet to call it toxic isn't very descriptive. It's like, well, what piece no. of it? Yeah. And so, yeah. So then we were having a great conversation where I was saying how, like, you know, I, I figured out that wounded masculine is the perfect word and phrase for it. And through our conversation, controlled feminine came up and we were like, oh, fuck yep. yeah. So I'm curious, That's do you it. still, yeah, do you still, you still vibe with that? hundred percent, a hundred percent. I just love it so much, you know, going kind of back to my health coaching career, right? With the women that wanted to lose weight, counting the calories, number on the scale, what size are my genes, control, 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 you know? Mm. Um, and that was just in, re- in the relation of food, right? Um, again, with my health coaching, it was like my job was, yes, we talk about food, but to get underneath the root. How is your career? How is your relationship? How is your relationship with yourself? How are the relationships with your family, your friends? Um, you know, what do you do for your own self-care, your hobbies, your desires, self-pleasure? You know, like there's so many pieces of the pie that, you know, people would hire me, women would hire me to lose weight and, you know, get healthy or whatever, get to this number or this dress size, where again, my job is to look at the full picture, right, of every single facet of of that gem that they are and unpack that, right? But in the beginning of health coaching, why they would hire me, they believed that I would help them with the control to control their diet. So then they would receive that number on the scale. Three months later, they could give two shits about the number on the scale, like I had mentioned earlier, right? Because they now feel so good inside of their body. Because we've looked at all of these other facets unbeknownst to them, right? And found that wholeness inside, right? And after those three months of working with my clients, I would do three months contain three month containers or six month containers. Um, you know, after the three months or after the six months, like I have yet to have a client get exactly what the fuck she wants, you know, which is amazing. And sometimes those goals change inside of it. Like I actually do not care about being 110 pounds anymore at all. Like I want to have fun. You know, I want to go have sex outside with my husband. You know, that's, that's the root, right? Because they haven't been intimate for the last year and a half after having a baby and she's had postpartum. It's not about the fucking food that she's cooking. It's about how she's showing up for herself, for her children, have her husband. Right. Um, so that controlling nature of, you know, that health, health coaching career. I mean, I saw it so fucking clearly every single one of them, every single, and I've worked with a lot of women, every single one of them had such a control issue of this must be perfect for me to be mm. happy and aligned and feel good inside of my body and myself. Right. And that was the health coaching. Yes. But I see that not only that, but like the self-development and like the, the self-love coaching that I've done as well. And also with students, you know, controlling and like trying to muscle into the postures, um, you know, these shapes and angles of their body. Why can't I do that? You know, I t- always, there's one of my terms, it's like, don't muscle into the posture, like let the asana unfold with you. Right. And maybe you'll get there one day. Maybe you won't. Who cares? Who and cares? what's even... What's even like blasting in my head right now is what we were just talking about with high maintenance and too much. Like saying that you're too much in a way tries to push you towards that controlled feminine. 
you know, you, yeah. you need to take all this allotness and shrink it down. You need to control it. You need to bring it in. And yeah. so that's actually a really fascinating parallel that I'm seeing with your story as well here. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Thank you for acknowledging that. That's a really, that's a perfect prime example. You know, the high maintenance, the allotness, why, why do less, you know, like let's at least my brain, you know, cause I like big things. I like being big. I like being a big energy on this planet. Um, I like being a mover and shaker. I like being a leader, you know, and for me to shrink and control myself so much, um, would be a disservice, of course, to myself, but my community around me. Because again, I wouldn't be showing up authentically, number one. Um, and number two, inside of that control, there's no flow. You know, there's no opportunity mm. for flow and like organic movement and nature and creativity to go in and out of the mind and move with, you know, new ideas, new cycles, new changes, right? If you're Which so is what feminine energy is. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and if you're so controlled, right, how are you going to accept change? The only inevitable that's on this planet, right? So it's like when we are stark, you know, when the, when the, when the feminine is like a stark holding on to the controlling nature and change happens, that is going to equal suffering for that person, right? For sure. And that's their lesson. You know, they, they, we, we all suffer on this planet, of course. It's the name of the game of this human experience. But to eliminate as much suffering as you can is to release control, allow yourself to go with the flow, find whatever modality that you use. I mean, I love the law, the law of attraction and manifestation. I mean, I'm a fucking queen at that shit now. I've been playing <laughs> with it so much, you know, for so many years, shit works. You know? um, I mean, it, from stripper to stu yoga studio owner. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy, but be, because I release control, and because I've become such a healthy feminine and a healthy masculine, um, it's easy for me to see it objectively, zoom out the lens, look at it as the observer, and then make the decision from that point rather than reacting, you know, to this, whatever that answer was, whatever out, the outcome was. And here's, here's an interesting thing that I was thinking about this corollary with regards to the idea of controlled feminine is I know that there's an unhealthy feminine energy out there where, you know, it's like, and I'd, I'd be interested if you have experience with this, or I, I'm sure you have experience with this and we can see how this fits into the controlled feminine framework. Maybe it doesn't, maybe we got to update it where mm. people are so far into their feminine or mostly women I've seen, I guess I've seen this with guys too, mostly women, majority of the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm having a bad day today. I feel like shit. So I'm going to act like shit. I'm feeling mad today, so I'm just going to act mad. And it's almost mm. it's almost like falling too much into that feminine where there is no control. <laughs> there's no masculine barrier for – there's no masculine barrier to prevent them from acting on those energies. And I, you know what I mean? Like it's important to feel those energies and to understand them. Of course. But I think once you act on them, it's almost like there's – and so I don't know if there's a way we can fit that into the framework of controlled feminine or if this is like a deviation off onto a, let's say, air quotes, different type of toxic feminine energy. Right. Um, I'm going to add on to that just for what I do when I am in that time and space where – 
I'm sure you've realized this or have had this experience. Like there are some days where you wake up and you're like, ugh, I don't like today. <laughs> you know, like your soul just wants to be sad, you know, or your soul just wants to be angry. Um, and again, you know, it's like the law of attraction, right? Which you're like, you you get out of bed and you bump your toe. You're like, fuck this. You know, you go to make coffee and you spill it. Exactly. Fucking today's going to be a shit day. I hate today. And then of course the rest of the day turns out like a pile of shit because you're, you're also looking for it. Right. See, 100%. you know, it, it, it validates you. Right. You know, like, see what I mean? Self-fulfilling I bump my toe. Totally. Right. You know, so when, when I have those days, if I, I'm sad or upset um, or if the vibe is just off, right? I'm just not feeling good. I really lean into self-care and take a step back of like, I try and cancel as many things that I can, that I have the availability to. Um, I love smoking marijuana. So I, that's kind of like my go-to medicine. Um, cancel as many things that I possibly can. I'll go home, you know, in partnership. I let my partner know like, yo, my soul is in it today. I'm going to need some space. I'm going to cocoon myself in the room. I'm bringing the bong and I'm going to watch movies, cry for a little bit and smoke some pot. So please leave me alone, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I don't want my chaos, the champagne effect, the champagne bottle effect mm. to squirt all over everyone around me because that's unfair and a disservice to them right? Because it's my soul. It's my choice. Um, I'm deciding to be in that today, you know? Um, unbeknownst to me, when you're, it's not like you wake up and like, I want to have a bad day today. You know, I don't think really not too many people do that. I'm not going to say no one, but, um, you, never know. you know, you never know. Exactly. <laughs> but at least when that happens with me, I kind of warn the people around me that are in my, you know, really intimate circle of, you know, I put my phone on do not disturb or airplane mode. Like, bye, I'm out, you know? And I just right. remind myself like tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow is a new day and I'm going to feel different because that's the only thing that I can count on is change. And then I make that proactive choice the next day, you know, I'll step into meditation, you know, like, well, you know, when I got back from Costa Rica, I had that Monday, right? It was fucking gnarly. One of those days, you know, it's woke up, shit hit the fan and then shit hit the fan, shit hit the fan, shit hit the fan, <laughs> over and over and over again. So I finally was able to, you know, get back home and I was in it. I felt like shit. Um, you know, my ex-partner was here and I was like, told him of like, I'm going in the room. Don't talk to me. I put on three hours of sound bowls and just laid in bed, mm. you know, and I felt so different afterwards. And I really just didn't do anything. I just rested throughout the day. And sometimes when we get into those bad days or that, that, controlled feminine or, you know, wounded masculine where it just feels like, oh, so much I'm dying. The world's closing in on me. Um, sometimes we're just running so much, you know, you, we just need a break. You just need to rest, rest the mind, rest the body, rest the soul, you know, and dial back into your own self-care and your own self-love, whatever that looks like for you. Like for me, I really love candles. I love smells, you know, like really beautiful smells or incense. Um, so, you know, that m Monday when I was listening to samples, there's candles lit all over my room. Um, and just those little tiny things that make me feel really good. A bubble bath or asking for a foot massage or going and buying yourself a massage. Um, you know, I love being touched. So it's like, that's always my go-to. You know, it's like massage, bath, candles, 
taking care of my face, doing a face mask, like, you know, those, those feminine things that are very nurturing. I always love like tickling my own arms or my legs, my body like this too, if I'm not feeling very good. So you find these little tools in your tool belt that equal what self-care means to you and actualize them, you know, use gotcha. them to step out of the controlled feminine, to step out of the wounded masculine, to come back into that alignment of the balance between both. Two things that I'm finding interesting here. Um, the first mm -hmm. one is the idea of rest, healing the con is that healing? Okay, well, hold on. Let me start with the wounded masculine because I know that okay. healing, the, because the, a strong point that the wounded masculine is always needing to do, 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 do. But then resting feels like more of a feminine quality, which, you know, resting, receiving, bringing all that in. Totally. So I'm trying to see how we fit this into the controlled feminine where it's, because it's interesting because you're going out of your way to say to people, okay, like I need to take today off. This is not a me day. Something's wrong. Um, so I need to take a step back and flow into my feminine energy in order to heal this thing. So, okay. But okay. So here's the thing <coughs> Excuse me. that it's okay. That feels like the healthy way to approach this, which is a good place to lay out where my question was coming from was from the unhealthy version where you don't do that. You don't cancel things. You don't tell people like you do mm. tell people, but you still act it out. Like today's a bad day. Like, woe is me. I'm just going through it, blah, blah, blah. You're repeating that to everybody you're around. And I feel like that's almost like a chaotic feminine. And it feels to me like there's this divergent maybe of toxic femininity in air quotes, where there's that controlled feminine, but then there's this chaotic feminine of mm -hmm. too feminine, not having any boundaries of not having any boundaries of it's not boundaries it's responsibility for your actions even though you feel bad and self-reflection or lack thereof of self-reflecting who you're being and who you're showing up as in front of other humans you know to right. put your energy inside of theirs right we were talking about energy vampires earlier inside of that you know that chaos like the chaotic feminine, the chaotic masculine, right? When that's when that ship is fucking spinning, um, you bleed out into other people's energy fields, right? And again, that's not very fun. That does not pass the Sufi gates at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at all, right? Great reference. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, um, you know, when someone is doing that, or if I do that, or if you do that, that's when shit gets gnarly, you know, like that's when things get uncomfortable. And that's where some like sometimes regret or um, lack of self-worth or feeling unworthy will seep into the mindset, seep into the ego um, and create some, some mucky waters in there for humans, you know? Right. And so I'm totally on board and we're in agreement here, but I want to bring this back because I feel like we still haven't quite hit the question I'm going for here, which is this deconstruction. So we're looking at like more meta level, right? The meta mm -hmm. level is toxic femininity, but that's almost like an umbrella term now that I'm looking at this where underneath it is controlled feminine. Another aspect of quote unquote toxic femininity would be chaotic feminine energy where it's completely uncontrolled. You know, you have the oppressed mm -hmm. and then completely chaotic and just, I'm just going to do whatever my intuition is telling me. And I've, my intuition has told me to do some pretty fucked up things sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, we're not going to do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. and so 
my point being is, and maybe I'm making this, this problem is now this problem, this trying to de- deconstruct the idea of toxic femininity is a little bit more complex than just giving it control because it could also be chaotic. And yeah. now I'm thinking back to masculine where as opposed to just being wounded, it feels like it could also, the word that's coming through now is also structured masculine, which would be another mm-hmm. like over, what would be a word that would be like overstructured, like too structured? Well, I guess right now the best we have is structured masculine. It's like, well, because, you know, structure is beautiful. There's actually freedom inside of structure. Oh, right? for sure. You know, um, like overstimulated structure, right? You know, where it's just too much of structure, where it's there's, it's, there's freedom in structure, yes. But if it's overstimulated, if it's too much, now we're choking. Right now, now right. we're pigeonholing ourselves and not being able to breathe inside of that, you know? So it's, it's, that's like at least my perspective of what you're saying is like an overstimulation of structure where it's, there's no, there's no room to breathe. There's no room to move and to change. Suff- suffocating masculine. Suffocating masculine. I love it. Fucking there love it, it is. Yes. So, okay, this is great. Okay, so we've expanded our terminology of toxic feminine and toxic masculine, right? So toxic feminine can be broken down into two categories now where it's controlled and chaotic feminine. And then masculine Mm -hmm. can be wounded masculine or suffocating masculine. Mm. Mm. Love it. Oh, that felt felt good. That felt good. That That felt felt great. I love it. Yep. I wonder if there's going to be another avenue. But that makes a lot of sense to me because, because of, of that, yeah, because of what I, mean, I was I'm saying sure earlier. There is. Yeah, maybe. Well, so it's going to like kind of add on to that because, it, well, again, it's like you know humans are on a spectrum, right? It's right. like there's fuck. Look at just a one single woman, you know that. Like, look at a one woman that you've dated. Like, I look at myself and like, man, I'm like fucking 500 people inside of one body, you know, um, where it's like, you take my yoga class and there's a certain Alina, you take my sculpt class as a whole other fucking ball game, you know, that's a whole different person right there. You know, it's, and there's, that's, that's the beauty about being human and, and having this human experience because we are on a spectrum. There's no one way that we are, you know, but right. Every, so just to go back to what you were saying, you know, the with the masculine and the feminine, it's like for right now, I feel like that really envelops um, both both sides of that coin, you know? Yeah. I feel like I want to write a book about this now. Deconstruction. Mm-hmm. It'll be called Deconstructing Toxic Masculinity and Toxic Femininity. And then it's going to go that. into, it's going to go into the. Oh, I got to write the that down. Nobody steal that. Somebody will steal that. <laughs> it's so, it's so. Yeah, it's so funny. I uh, the one podcast I was having with a girl, and I was like, "Oh yeah, like I want to write an entire book about truth and how truth is subjective." And she's like, "Yeah, I've I've written that book." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great." I was like, "It's already out there." Yeah, but, but it seems yep. like ideas get repeated pretty frequently. Like it, you know, the idea that there's no original idea almost, or you know, but what's crazy is like ideas almost come from like the ether of nothingness. I'm not sure how aware you are of this. Um, maybe we've talked about this on the retreat, but whenever 
like, and they map this out with like Mayan culture, you know, Egyptian culture, and maybe even like in the Peruvians, like whenever they were kind of all coming up at the same time, they found that over 300 inventions were created at the same time. So for instance, like in Mayan culture, they created the hammer at the same exact time that they created it in Egypt at the same exact time that they created it like somewhere in Asia. And they mapped this out with like 300 different tools and inventions. And what's so fascinating about this is that like these ideas aren't original, even in Mm -hmm. cultures that are separated by miles and miles and distances that they can't even communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. They still create and they still produce the same thing at the same time. It just comes down to who's willing to actually create the thing and put it out into the world. Right. Right. It's fascinating where it's like we do, we all share those, those strings of consciousness, you know, like trees, right. We're talking about that where all trees are interconnected. They all talk to each other. Right. Um, you know, even hiking through, when we went the, did the waterfall hike in Costa Rica, all that jungle that we were in and those branches and the vines and the roots all intertwined where it's one full fucking ecosystem you know that's why i love that movie avatar so much mm. you know with awa with the tree you know it's such a fucking fabulous movie um but humans are like that too you know again it's like you know that um that you know when you, you know those those things that happen like those uh what's it called uh synchronicities that happen when you think of someone that you haven't thought of in forever and then they text you or you see you see them or what what have you everyone knows what i'm talking about right now We're it all happens with us totally you know 100% and it's like that is such a beautiful thing about the human experience that isn't necessarily nurtured that much right or talked about that much um but oh my god is it there right it is absolutely there have you ever read the uh, celestine prophecy no, I haven't. I have the book though. It's right next to me. <laughs> so the, uh, you should check it out because it's very fascinating. And I experienced this with my shamans because they've done multiple ayahuasca trips. You know, they're very in tuned with who they are. Yeah. And there's a thing in the Celestine Prophecy where they talk about conscious conversations and what it is. And you can actually hear this in the episode, which would have been actually just before yours. So the episode previous to this, where. Nice since we're all tapped into this like group consciousness, there's three of us, you know, so we're a group now you mm-hmm. can feel who has the most energy to speak next. Like you, mm. like when you tap into it and it, it, I first read it in this book and then I didn't experience it. until <laughs> I had this conversation with these two people where like, I would be saying something and then like, it, or even uh, the one guy was about to say something and then he blanked out and he goes, I think you, you have the next thing to say. And she's like, yeah, 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 I do. I have a really important thing to say. And so what happens is you kind of come to this, there's this group consciousness whenever you're in a conversation and here's another thing. And I bet, I bet you've seen this before. I noticed it. I've noticed it myself where if you're in a group setting and what will happen is like the conversation will be going, someone will be talking, another person will be talking, someone else will be talking. And then they'll hit this pause in the conversation your eyes, if you're in tune with the energy of the conversation, will go to a specific person. That person is the one who's holding the energy of the conversation. The problem is, is if they are not conscious, if they are not aware, if they are stifled from society, they won't speak because they (laughs) are either afraid of what they're about to say. They're not confident in what they're about to say. So they won't say anything. And then what happens is, is the group trickster or the group comedian will say something off Mm. the wall to break the tension Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, that person who your eyes went to had the thing to say, had the energy of the conversation, but they covered up. They didn't say what there was on their mind to say. Absolutely. I can think of so many experiences that I've had that is exactly that situation that you just prescribed. It's crazy. 100%. Like, and- wow, that's that's amazing. <laughs> All right. It looks like we're still recording. Yeah. I don't know what happened. That is so bizarre. Maybe it flicked to a different internet. I don't. Fuck. Well, I'm still on the same this will be fun in post production. Yeah. <laughs> this will be fun in post production. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, okay, but, but no, you're saying where about I was at self. was, um, you know, the macro and micro, and like, you know, when humans, men and women both, you know, ask me about authenticity and all of that. Uh oh, you, you there? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Yes, I can. Just your screen's frozen, but it's all good. Um, Ask me about like the judgment or talking about being judged. It's like, why, why do you care what this person thinks? Like, there's no reason to care about that at all. You know, if you really, because they're at at the end of the day, they could be judging you. You know, that that's a possibility for sure. But in reality, they're probably just thinking about themselves of how they're being perceived inside of your eyes. You know, so it's this mirror effect that happens to people that they withhold their own truth and their own self um, in fear of being judged. But that other person is doing the exact same fucking thing. Right. So it's like this. You both close yourself. It's not working out. Totally. So it's like if, if what, humans were to choose their – oh, yeah, just kind of like reflecting back on, on a roll right now. <laughs> but if humans were to it. choose, I am choosing self-love. I am choosing to be my authentic self in whatever capacity that means and how, how much I know about myself. That is my choice in this moment. And you make that choice over and over and over and over again in that macro, excuse me, micro level – from that one person's choice, that will ripple effect out. Not only will you inspire yourself, but you'll inspire the people around you, right? And that ripple effect starts to move into that macro experience of high-level consciousness of all human beings on the planet where we all can ascend with each other, you know, in that space of co-creation. Like, it just starts from fucking home. It starts from you. It starts from your heart. It starts from your mouth. It starts from your throat chakra, right? It starts from your consciousness. Okay. Well, and... And even more so, what it's reminding me of is even how I was able to bring up that whole conversation piece about the purity with girls, because that's something that I would never bring up with a chick. Like, especially if I, especially if it was someone who I viewed as being against that framework, like I would be like, I would feel like I would be coming across as judging them and then they would feel bad and I wouldn't want to, you know, criticize them. Yet the fact that you're so authentic about who you are. A, I think that's a reason that we came across each other's paths. And B, I, you know, that's the reason that now I can have some healing on my own regards. It's like, yeah, you can bring that up with a girl who's been through it. Like they don't once it's authentic and know who they are, they don't give a shit. Like Absolutely. they're on the they're same gonna page. Love it's it. like they're yeah, gonna love exactly. It. And you get it seems like you gained some knowledge from that intuition or that that insight as well. Hundred percent. One hundred percent. You know, and that's, that's the beauty about learning and conversing and, and like, 
You know, the beauty about, you know, your intention about having this podcast is so people can learn from each other, right? Knowledge is passed down from experiences and from languaging, mm. right? So, and yeah, so it's like, you know, we all learn differently, like the kinesthetic, the visual, the audio, right? But you learn from someone or something, you know, if I fall 100%. down of kill and I bumped my knee because I was running too fast. I know not to do that next time, you know, learning from you inside of this podcast about the purity and, um, you know, the, you know, the, the, the wounded masculine and the controlled feminine and the expansiveness outside of that. And also how we can ascend with each other, right? We can do this together. You're that's what yoga means union to yoke to bring together, right. right? We're all one at the end of the day, at least in my belief system. I, it's an interesting conversation because we're unique, but yet the same at the same time, totally. which is a fascinating conversation. I'm getting this little poke in the back of my head that we should wrap it up. Um, right. I think it's because of the recording and I think I'm starting to get a little bit anxious about if that's going to work out or not. <laughs> perfect. Um, I feel so fulfilled. You feel f- perfect. That's yep. That's what matters at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, but Alina, thank you. This was incredible. I really enjoyed so this. Fun. Me too. I, I, I loved I, you it. Know, yeah. I mean, every single conversation we've had has been on point. I know. You're my fave. I just adore you so much. <laughs> it's like, I just want talks with Clayton. <laughs> just talk to Clayton 24-7. Yep, exactly. Well, that's funny too. And I told you that there was someone at the retreat who we talked like probably three or four times. And at, after the fourth time, she's like, you know, every single time that I talk with you, like it, it completely shatters my worldview. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm doing like, my job. Yeah. Yep, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> um, but at this at this point, I always give my guests the floor because I want them to encourage people. You can plug your stuff, whatever, whatever feels resonant to Alina to say to the conscious monkeys of traveling to consciousness, like mm. it, the floor is yours. I mean, yeah, I just kind of want to reflect back onto those <laughs> the rules of reach yoga, right? You know, yes, it's a yoga studio. It's a brick and mortar, blah, blah, blah. But the three rules, you know, of showing up on this planet is, you know, be a, be a good fucking human, show up in love and bring your magic. You know, it's, it's really, it's more simple than we think, you know, to share our authenticity, to be vulnerable, to choose, to honor your boundaries and to be a good human and love and magically, right? You know, so it's easier than one might perceive. Um, so try your best, you know, to be inside of that vibration. And so we can all send together and make Clayton's life really happy. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's beautiful though. Alina, thank you so much. We'll, we'll definitely have to do this again in the near future. Absolutely. I love you. I'm so happy we did this. I love you as well. And mm-hmm. guys, I mean, really don't have anything more to add. Um, I love you guys all. Uh, I'm happy you guys made it through this. Hopefully you learned something. Can't wait to hear any um, wounded masculine jump on the inbox and tell me mm-hmm. how <laughs> how wild it is. But I'm happy for it because I want to learn. I want to see where the error is or not the error, but you know, it's always an opportunity for expansion, right? Yep. So at the end of the day, thank you guys for listening. Appreciate you all. And Conscious Monkeys, I will see you guys in the sixth dimension. Bye.